Uh, hello everyone, sorry for the delay. Uh, my name is Jill Fricky, and welcome to the season 2 premiere of Movie Change Up, where every week two people go head to head pitching reboots to seven movies we love, love to hate, and maybe even forgot about. For this week's episode, we have decided to reboot seven movies with two, that's T-O, two, T-O-O, or two, T-W-O, in the title in honor of our season 2 premiere. However, these aren't just straight-up reboots, since we've added a little twist, because every week there are also seven rules we must follow. One rule per movie, and you can't use a rule more than once. Now, to help me determine the winner in today's head-to-head -head matchup, I have a co-judge. Now, if you watched or listened to last season, you may have heard us refer to the other judge as a consultant judge. Well, the role of consultant judge is dead. Last season, the competitors got to pick their own seven movies and rules, and the main host picked all of the winners. Not anymore. Both judges have equal control now. I picked three movies, Bobby picked three movies, and together we came and picked the seventh movie. Uh, for the rounds of the movies Bobby picked, he chose the winners. If the competitors choose a movie I picked, then I choose the winner. So Bobby, how have you been during our break, and how do you feel about these changes? I've been good. I mean, uh, you know, it's been a nice little break, but I'm ready to hop back into season two. Um, and a shout out to John Williams. It's his birthday today, 89th. So I got some Jurassic Park going in Star Wars. So just excited to do this. All right. All right. Um, now we have two competitors today who have faced off towards the end of season one, but this is their first time facing off in the main division. Uh, the first competitor is our reigning champ with a combined record last year of nine and one. He's also my fellow co-creator of this podcast. His name is Johnny Dupe. Johnny, do you feel like the Apollo Creed of this league? And when do you think your Rocky Balboa will show up and knock you down? You know, Joe, I kind of feel like both Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed. Because I will always live on and I will never lose again. And I'm not too worried about business suit over there. I think uh, Tristan and I only faced once in our Forgotten Movies. This is the first time uh, we'll ever face off with with real movies, if you can call, you know, these movies, real movies. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to kind of see uh, what happens, but I, I'm excited for the matchup, um, but I'm feeling confident. Bobby got his Jaws and his Star Wars. I have my Jaws shirt. Um, I, what? No, I think I said Bobby Jaws, but he has Jurassic Park. So there we go. We're all celebrating John Williams appropriately. All right. I mean, not me, but whatever. Yeah. Well, you, you do what you do. So our yeah, second competitor started off cold but got hot towards the end last season. Tristan, why do you think you can do what no one else has been able to and defeat Johnny? Look, I mean, we saw last, we saw yesterday a really nice big shutout at the Super Bowl, and I feel like we're going to have it again this week. I'm going to come in here and dominate Johnny. I'm going to be the not racist version of Tom Brady, mm -hmm. and I'm going to come in here and I'm going to win this game. And we're I'm ready to pitch. Johnny mentioned some movies this week that might not totally be real movies, but one of them is one of my favorite movies. And... I'm really excited to talk about it, and we have some great ones, some not great ones this week, but what I'm most confident in is not the movies themselves, but my pitches and the fact that I'm going to win. So I'm here to take Johnny down. Like you said, he's on a win streak, whatever. You know, I'm just here to knock him down and take that spot from him this season. All right. And uh, in season one, we only had content available on YouTube and podcast app. Now you can stream us live on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook. We are still on all the same podcast apps, and as far as social media goes, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Movie Change Up, which you can see below down there. If you're thinking, Joe, I don't have Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, 
Well, get off your ass and make an account. Go follow us, like us, subscribe, do all of the things. It really helps us and uh, puts us in front of more people every day. We're putting out content that isn't just clips of the show, and we try to make it worth your while. Uh, Bobby had a pretty nice video that we put up yesterday that's, uh, What if Harry Potter was a rock opera? So go over to our TikTok and check that out. Now, let's get to it. Uh, as far as today's seven movies are, we have 2003's Too Fast, Too Furious, 1988's Coming to America, 1990, 1997's Jungle to Jungle, 1990's Hard to Kill, 2010's How to Train Your Dragon, 1956's The Man Who Knew Too Much, and the incredible classic 1990's Troll 2. And uh, Bobby, do you have the seven rules there? Uh, yes, I do. Let's see. We have one must include the Joker, one must be cast in a 1970s movie, one must include the Sprouse twins, one must be, include only Star Wars actors, one must be a Martin Scorsese movie, you must resurrect a director's career for one, and one must be a musical. And as Tristan says, that is his favorite. All right. And uh, I believe, Tristan, you won the won the competition before the episode began to determine what movie we're going with and who goes first. So uh, what movie are you picking and who's going first? I'm going to go with Hard to Kill, and I'm going to throw it off a bit and have Johnny go first. Okay, interesting choice. And uh, if you guys are wondering, hey, I wonder what Joe would have done with these pitches. Uh, after this match, you can head over to our Twitter, which is at Movie Change Up, and I'm going to have posted... Uh, written article of what I would what movies and what rules I would have paired and what my pitches would have been. So, you know, if you're bored on a Monday evening after this episode's over, go over there and check that out. I'm interested to see what you think. If you like my ideas, tell me. If you don't, keep that opinion to yourself. So, Hard to Kill came out in 1990, got a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's directed by Bruce Malmuth. It is an American action thriller film starring Steven Seagal, Kelly LeBrock, William Sadler, and Frederick Coffin. It features Seagal as Mason Storm, a detective who falls into a coma after being shot during a firefight that killed his wife. Reawakening seven years later, Storm embarks on a journey to avenge the death of his wife and expose the corruption of Senator Vernon Trent. And this was actually my pick, so I will be judging this round. All right. Well... Joe, I hope you like what I did with it. Um, now this one at first, looking forward, I didn't think I uh, this rule matched up too well, but going through it and thinking about this director's career, I thought Hard to Kill could make a very interesting Martin Scorsese movie. So my director is Martin Scorsese. I'll kind of do my pitch and then go over kind of who my cast is. You know what? Now, so you guys can kind of picture him as I go along. Here's my cast. My lead is going to be called, is named Mason Pierce. That's going to be played by Andrew Garfield. Uh, my Andy Stewart uh, is going to be played by Kate Mara. My Senator Vernon Trent is going to be played by Mark Rylance. Um, Felicia, who is Mason's wife, is going to be played by Olivia Wilde. And my FBI captain is going to be played by Ray Liotta. So that being said, here's my pitch. Mason Pierce is an FBI agent who went undercover to stop a large drug smuggling plot. The film begins with the FBI stopping the transaction and arresting all the perps involved. Mason is awarded the Medal of Honor by Senator Vernon Trent in a big ceremony. That night, he is eating dinner with his wife, Felicia, when men break into his house. They kill his wife, and they shoot him. Mason wakes up in a hospital. He has been in a medically induced coma for two months and is lucky to be alive. The captain of the FBI um, tells Mason they believe the attack 
could have been tied to his undercover operation, uh, but they have not found any connections yet. Mason wants to investigate, but he is ordered uh, to take time off and not to meddle in the case because he is now compromised. Mason ends up sneaking out of the hospital and going to visit an old friend, Andy Stewart, who used to be his partner uh, when they were police officers, and he needs someone to help him find uh, the people who killed his wife. She reluctantly agrees, and they start their own investigation. This is more of a detective film than an action movie like the original, so you're still going to have some like gunfights and stuff, but it's more um, focused on him trying to find out who betrayed him or you know discovered him. Um, and they discover the assassination was all in the orders of Senator Vernon Trent, who is corrupt and lost a lot of money on the drug bust. Mason plans an attack on the senator's well-guarded mansion. He sneaks in and takes out the guards before finally confronting Vernon. Vernon says, you can't arrest me. You're no longer working for the FBI. And Mason replies, I've never been, I've never planned on arresting you. And then he shoots the senator in the chest. The film ends uh, with Mason being visited by his former captain um, at Mason's remote cottage. Uh, Mason thinks he's about to be arrested, but his captain tells him, all the files uh, for him have been destroyed and no one will be coming for him. So that's my movie. I have some more in there, like info, um, just kind of where the plot goes. Um, at some point, he, he the whole movie basically is going to suspect it to be Ray Liotta's character, the FBI captain, betraying him. And then he finds out that it's um, uh, the senator. So it's kind of a, a detective movie with a couple little twists, more of a Departed-like tone. I want Scorsese to return to... Uh, Something like that after kind of, you know, doing like The Silence, which was kind of a long, boring movie. And um, uh, same with uh, his last one, The uh, Irishman. The Irishman. Was good, but I want him to kind of go back to doing something like The Departed. And that was a remake, so I felt like that tone and everything fits well for this. So that's what I'm kind of shooting for. So that's my pitch. All right. Uh, Tristan, what do you got? All right. I went a different direction with mine. Uh, we mentioned before the show on our little preamble that this is basically a diehard ripoff so in order to combat that i made it come out first i made it come out in 1975 because my rule was to cast it at a 1970s movie and for my director i used william friedkin he's most known now for the exorcist but in the 70s he was known for the french connection and he was also the future director of uh, live and die in la which are kind of like really fun action thriller movies uh, and my cast here is clint eastwood who plays mason storm He's a gruff cop who works undercover in narcotics. And when he busts a drug ring backed by corrupt cops, he becomes a target of assassins who attack him and his wife, killing her and putting him in a coma. And when he wakes up, he must go on the run in New York City, fighting for his life and vowing revenge on anyone who is responsible for his wife's death. And similar to the original, he tracks it down to Senator Trent, like Johnny mentioned in his, but my version is played by Michael Caine, who was on a big hot streak in the 70s, especially 75. He was in like four movies that year, so he was ultimate all-star and i think him and clint eastwood being on in this cat and mouse game in the 70s movie would be really exciting and i think william friedkin is shown in french connection that he can do that kind of cat and mouse spy thriller and we follow a similar plot to the original i made it much a little bit more of an action movie than johnny did but i still wanted to bring in some of the spy elements so we have uh mason storm going through new york city he basically has like a one night chance to find senator trent as he's slowly gaining power over new york city and he needs to track down Trent and get his revenge. And in our final scene, we have this big shootout where Clint Eastwood is essentially on his own. He's a, All these cops have kind of abandoned him because they see these corrupt cops, but they're telling him, oh, just, you know, you can't fight them. They're too powerful. They're too, they control too much power in the city. But he takes it on himself. 
He invades Senator Trent's huge mansion, gets in a huge badass shootout at the end, hunts down Trent, and in the last scene, he's confronting Trent, about to kill him, and Trent says, why are you going to kill me? Your wife's still alive. I know where she is. I can find her for you. But he says he just doesn't respond. He shoots him anyway and kills him and walks away. So you leave it kind of ambiguous at the end, like he's going to try and go find his wife, but you're not quite sure if if she's even alive, if there's even a chance now that Trent's dead. You know, he simply says, I don't care, and shoots him. And that's kind of the plot of my movie. It's just a simple cat and mouse game. Clint Eastwood is on the run trying to hunt down Senator Trent while he's sending goons and assassins after him. And we see Clint Eastwood getting badass shootouts, fighting these guys one by one, slowly tracking it down, finding out that Senator Trent, who we see throughout the movie, is the ultimate bad guy. And he decides, okay, I'm taking this guy down myself, but if I go down with him or not, he's going down with me. And you just get a simple cat and mouse action movie, just like the original, but this time it's in the 70s. This time it has Clint Eastwood, this time it has Michael Caine, and you have an awesome director, William Friedkin, at the helm of it. What else can you ask for? All right, interesting. Uh, Bobby, do you really have any questions or thoughts or anything for them? Um, for Johnny, more of I, just in his argument, I just kind of want to hear what kind of Scorsese-isms are going to be in the movie. Um, you don't have to answer directly now, but like the voiceover or like lead characters going bad, what would what would what stamp would he put on it? Um, and Tristan, more of a question for now, I guess, is how is this because it's in the '70s going to differentiate itself from the Dirty Harry movies? I think it goes hand in hand with Dirty Harry. I think it's a few years after the Dirty Harry movies really put Clint Eastwood on the map, and now he's following it up with this gritty kind of urban uh, cop movie. He's he's off the grid. He's living on his own. He's trying to get revenge and it kind of goes hand in hand with Dirty Harry you know it's a follow up potentially to his Dirty Harry movies you give another director Clint Eastwood and you give him even more badass action scenes it's it's exactly what you want out of a 70s Eastwood movie okay yeah mine um, Andrew Garfield will have like a a voiceover in it kind of just explaining like because it's a I think if Scorsese did a detective movie his way of really like kind of telling that to the audience of what's going on what the character's thinking is a voiceover it's not going to over rely on it i think scorsese does a good job of that um but it's kind of going to introduce some things um that way um and then the other thing about it is i feel like like scorsese too you know when the departed you kind of know what's going on the whole movie so i like a movie with maybe a little more mystery so i want most of the film for ray liotta who classic scorsese ray liotta would be the villain um that big you know the evil character um, he's going to be like the number one suspect. And then Andrew Garfield's character finds out that it's not him and goes towards the, and he discovers it's the, uh, it's the Senator. So those are kind of like the Scorsese, like you have little twists in there, like, uh, not anything too crazy, like Shutter Island twist, but he likes having little twists and turns and it's like a detective story. So I think it fits his tone pretty well. Okay. That answers mine. And, uh, who plays the Senator in your movie? Mark Rylance. Mark who Rylance, I, right? I think could play a good, like, Yep. villain that just seems like a normal senator you haven't really seen him do a role like that yeah okay. that would be something that would be miscast as like ben mendelson who's always yep. the villain. <laughs> yeah who you know immediately is the bad guy and i kind of went for the casting wise like the opposite like of course you think ray leota is going to be the evil yeah. you know bad guy but it's violence all right yeah like I'm, i think i'm pretty 50 50 right now so i'm gonna give you guys uh five minutes to fight it out i might stop it before that five minutes but I have 16.34 on the clock, so at 21.34, I'm going to call it no matter what. So, fight it out. Tear tear each other apart. 
I'll start and um, I'll say that this sounds my movie. I mean, Clint Eastwood in this era is like in his prime of action movies. And you mentioned Dirty Harry, but I think that's honestly a pro to this pitch. I think it's a couple of years after Dirty Harry and he's on a hot streak right now. People will be out to see any Eastwood action movie that comes out, especially he's playing a cop. He's playing a like kind of a gray, not dirty cop, but he's taking the law into his own hands kind of cop. And I, I'm sure people would love this. So just, just what, three years, four years after Dirty Harry? I think it's it's a great role for Clint Eastwood. And Michael Caine, he was also on a hot streak. I think these are two all-stars of the 70s, and it would be really fun to see them kind of being going head-to-head. To see Michael Caine play a bad guy would be really fun, especially, like, in hindsight now, we see him a lot in the Noel movies. He's kind of just like the good guy, the butler, who comes in and gives advice and tenant for one scene and then leaves. And I think it would be fun to have him be the bad guy who's fighting against Clint Eastwood. I just really like these two actors, especially in the 70s, and you put them in a very simple premise like this, and I think you can get the best out of both of them. Yeah, I, I think, I agree. I think it just, maybe people would have been excited at the time, um, you know, to see a, a, a Clint Eastwood movie. He had, you know, some popular ones there, but I do think, I mean, the Dirty Harry series, there's five movies, and they're all going on during during yours, you know. I, I think him playing a he's not like as a dirty of a cop, but he's kind of a similar, he's kind of like a rogue cop doing his own thing, going after the evil bad guy. It sounds very similar. I think Clint Eastwood's best work in the seventies were when he either stuck to what he's good at, which is um, his Westerns like high plains drifter and the outlaw Josie Wales are probably his two best movies in the, in the seventies. And, you know, I, I liked those and all of his other ones. I've, I've seen like even Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which is a movie that I checked out cause I was on a Clint Eastwood binge I watched that and I'm like, this movie's nothing special, you know. Like, and Jeff, the best part of that movie is Jeff Bridges, and I, I think while I would like to see maybe Michael Caine play a character like yours, I do think it might come off as him in like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Like, I wouldn't really take Michael Caine seriously in your role because going back and watching his work, he's good in like comedies and in dramatic roles when he's like the the good guy, you know. I I, I don't know if that was really in his skill set. And I don't know if I would have been afraid of him, especially after seeing like such a, a great villain uh, performance in Dirty Harry with a serial killer. I'm not going into this movie and ever like thinking Michael Caine can go up against Clint Eastwood, who I already know is like this basically superhero type character, whether it's his Westerns or his cop movies. And I'll counter that by saying that we're leaning into that here. I mean, we're seeing Michael Caine as a senator. He's not out there fighting Clint Eastwood fist-to-fist, you know? He's kind of the behind-the-scenes guy. He's kind of giving orders to the goons. And you see him in sort of the first act as just a presence in the movie. You're not He's not revealed to be the villain until, like, you know, at the end of the first act, halfway through. And I think that leans into our, our prejudices of Michael Caine. You see him and you think he's going to be the good guy. You think he's going to be just kind of there to support Clint Eastwood's journey. And then it turns out he's the bad guy behind it the whole time. And I think that leans into what we know of the actor, and I think it could really be make it exciting when we're, we're finally able to see him play a bad guy in a dramatic role. Like you said, he was good in dramatic roles, but he's a good guy. So I think you can turn that into a, a twist and make him the bad guy and really lean into his skill as an actor. Yeah, and and just because we Joe's going to end it at some point, you got about really a little over about a minute. My, yeah. my movie at all. Um, I think with mine, I, I, I want to see Scorsese kind of return to a departed style, like cop movie with some action sequences get him like something exciting um i think scorsese's like his true best work is when he kind of 
goes away from what he normally does, or he takes years off of that and comes back to it. Like Wolf of Wall Street was a different story, but it was very similar to a Goodfellas casino, and he hadn't done anything like that in a while. It's now been 15 years since The Departed, and I want to see him kind of do um, a film like that because I think he could come back really strong, especially after like two like fine, like overlong movies. But I picture mine more as like, I really like the movie Shooter with Mark Wahlberg, but that's just like a goofy cable movie. I want to take that, kind of combine it with the tone of The Departed and take um, aspects from um, like The Fugitive where this like rogue FBI agent's getting chased by the FBI and he's trying to stop this guy who killed his family. So it's like a revenge detective film um, that also deals with uh, just some good themes and stuff that, that Scorsese does well and has some good action. And I want to see Andrew Garfield in a role like this. I think he could be um, really good. Uh, I think he's always great in everything he's in. I think I have my ruling. Does anyone have one final bomb they want to drop or anything like that? Or because otherwise, I think I know where I'm going to go. Can't wait for drill two. <laughs> All right, all right, uh, Bobby. What are your thoughts? Um, so I think Tristan did a good job of kind of if if this movie was made in the '70s, this is kind of how it would go, and it would be an entertaining movie. But I do think Johnny's point of it would get lost in the Dirty Harry movies kind of puts that down a little bit. Um, so I'm leaning towards Johnny with the Scorsese take because I'd like him to return to The Departed, but I'm, I'm pretty pretty close between the two pitches. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty close as well. Uh, I'm going to go to some of our live chats. Unlike season one, that's the one downgrade between season one and season two is we can't really put comments on the screen like we used to. But uh, Dune Slug in the chat has said... Uh, brought up how Tristan's poster is falling. He says uh, Johnny's story was better, or was good, but Tristan's storytelling was better. He also says he's still leaning Tristan at the end. Um, my thing is, I agree with what Bobby said. I think if Tristan's movie came out in the 70s, I think it would crush and it would be good, but I just don't know how well it would hold up to me a lot of those cop movies that, that came out around then. Like The Dirty Harry, like The French Connection, like I've watched them. In the last few years and to me they just don't the cop 70s movies are just not what holds up that well and i also don't know if i want to see uh, basically an unofficial dirty harry sequel where he goes up against michael kane who is more of like the suave type guy i just don't know if that would be as believable as well and i think a departed style scorsese movie would be more interesting to me i like andrew garfield it's kind of like a little bit change of the role like he played a superhero but it was not he wasn't fighting he was always cgi so you don't see andrew garfield really as like a tough guy um and i think it'd be just an interesting movie i'd like to see so yeah i'm gonna go with uh johnny here with the uh the scorsese right. version of hard to kill bad call so johnny, i like your movie. director choice for your 70s movie though tristan we'll see what i did with mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice so I didn't really knock that one. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't text Jesse either because I was like, well, I'm going to bring it specifically later in the episode, so I can't really yeah. say a lot now. I mean, what are you going to say, though? Oh, Scorsese sucks. Like... Yeah, Scorsese's bad. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. uh, Tristan, where are we heading next, and who's going first? I'm going to save that one for a little later. Let's go with... Uh, Jungle to Jungle. All right, interesting. This is an, uh, who's gonna go first? I'll go first. Okay, okay. Uh, Jungle to Jungle. It came out in 1997. It got a 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, from what I remember of that movie and the trailer I just watched, it seems about 18% too high. 
Uh, its director was John Pasquin. It is a comedy film produced by the Walt Disney Company. It starred Tim Allen, Martin Short, David Ogden Stiers, Joe Beth Williams, and Sam Huntington as Mimi Siku. According to IMDb, it's about a man who learns he has a 13-year-old son who was raised in the jungle, and he brings the boy to New York City, turning his life upside down in the process. What do you got? All right. Uh, I went for my oh, rule this of was use. This was my movie as well, so I'm still judging this one. For my uh, rule on Jungle of Jungle, I use one must include the Sprouse twins. And my director is Max Barbacow, who directed Palm Springs. This would be his second feature film. So after a uh, tight-knit suited young adult, Michael, played by Cole Sprouse, discovers he was separated from his twin brother, River, who's played by Dylan Sprouse, at a young age after their parents' divorce. He goes on an international trip to reunite with his brother, who's now living in a hippie commune. After a late night on hallucinogenics and partying, the two end up accidentally swapped. Uh, so Michael is now a fish out of water in a hippie commune, and River finds himself in the metropolitan jungle of New York City. And these two... Twins separated at birth now find themselves swapped in two totally different situations. They're both having their own fish-out-of-water adventures. And it's, a, it's a, just a typical sort of arc where they're leaving their home, their home area. They're very out of, the, out of their elements. They're very uncomfortable, and they're starting to come into their element. After Throughout the story, they're starting to realize the, the joys of these different lifestyles. And in the end, they both come to appreciate what they had before and decide to keep in contact, but ultimately go back to the lives they had before with new, uh, newfound appreciation for themselves and their past and who they are and where they're at in their lives. Just a nice coming-of-age uh, story. I think Max Barbacow could pull it off really well. He showed him Palm Springs that he could take a fairly simple premise of, oh, the day repeats. We've seen that plenty of times, but he can take that and really make a lot out of it and emotionally make a lot out of it, make a lot out of it for the characters and take that relatively uh, easy premise of, oh, twins are, are switched and find something great out of it and find something funny out of it that can appeal to a lot of people, to adults, to kids, to families, and really just make the most out of this uh, swapping of the Cole and Dylan Sprouse storyline. I think Cole Sprouse is kind of a little bit of a career resurgence. He's on Riverdale and a few other TV shows. I think he'd, it's time for him to have a nice lead in a comedy movie and bring Dylan Sprouse back out from basically retiring to play his twin sibling once again and make Jungle to Jungle instead of a weird kid from a tribe comes back to New York City. It's going to be these two people swap places and we get some awesome fish-out-of-water comedy, coming-of-age comedy. That's my pitch. All right. Uh, movie changing up. Big Max Barbacow fans. I think since Palm Springs dropped, whoever is comp someone competing has always had him as the director of one of their movies. So, Johnny, what do you got? Well, I went with a, a director we've we've never used on this show before, um, and that is uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood. Uh, she did, uh, back in the day, she did a movie called The Secret Life of Bees, which was a really underrated movie. Um, and then she did Beyond the Lights, which I saw when I was dating someone at the time and expected nothing and thought it was a good, like, kind of dramatic, uh, like, romance story with some good musical sequences and the reason for that is my movie will be a musical um for jungle to jungle i'll kind of go into my pitch and then uh and tell you the cast as i go along so michael uh played by steven yoon who was great in burning and he's probably most famous for walking dead but he has a great movie or movie that looks great coming out called minari 
which I'm excited to see. And Angela, played by Tessa Thompson, who's obviously super famous, but great in Creed and Dear White People and Thor Ragnarok. Um, so they play a married couple uh, who are not able to have children and decide to use an adoption program that rescues children from being um, uh, child soldiers in Africa. Uh, the New York couple adopts a young boy named Jabari, uh, played by um, Evan Alex, who is the, the kid in uh, Us, and he was also a good, he's good in uh, the show Kidding, the Jim Carrey Showtime show. Um, so uh, Jabari, uh, who's a 12-year-old and was forced into war since he was eight in Congo, uh, Jabari starts going to school in New York, uh, where he, his adopted mother is the uh, choir teacher. Jabari has trouble adapting to his new life and his new surroundings. He is having a hard time at school and does not feel like he fits in. Uh, one night, he has a tantrum and tells his parents he is not meant to have a normal life and that no one likes him. He goes to his room crying, and Angela follows. She starts to sing to him, and Jabari calms down. He starts to sing with her. Angela decides to have Jabari join her choir class. Jabari does not feel comfortable singing in front of anyone but his mom, uh, but he finally feels joy when he is singing. Um, so one day when he's privately singing to her in her office, a girl in the choir named Katie, played by Chloe Coleman, who's a superstar. She was in My Spy, Big Little Lies. Um, so she overhears him singing in the back office, uh, and he, he sees her and gets very shy. He stops singing. Uh, Katie tells him she doesn't want him to stop, that she wants to sing with him. They bond over their love of music, and Jabari and Katie form a great friendship. So overall, this is a musical coming-of-age story about a boy finding his, um, a new life and a new home, and it's about the struggles of not only um, uh, Jabari adapting to his new life, but also the parents adapting to being parents, dealing with the troubles that that, that uh, does, but... Mine is a musical more in the way of like a star is born where it's not just, they just break out into song. It will be like actual moments in the movie where they are, you know, singing, there's going to be choir performances and him working up his courage to kind of do the big performance at the end um, with the help of, of Katie. So that that's my movie. I think it's um, the only way I could have made uh, jungle to jungle, a watchable story. Um, Tristan sounds like, just complete garbage so we'll get into that but that's really my whole pitch all right uh bobby do you have any questions for him uh not really it's more just kind of i want to hear him fight it out i have no connection to this movie i've never seen it um i watched the trailer and i you know and i read it but um johnny sounds sweet and tristan sounds like a fun like parent trap kind of movie um so i mean hey they, they both sound interesting i just want to hear him talk about it yeah, uh, the one thing I had for question I had for Tristan is: Is your movie kind of stars both of them, or does your movie you focus more on Cole Sprouse or Dylan Sprouse? Or oh yeah, Cole's definitely the lead, but I def they're very they're both co-leads essentially. I just have Cole is the, is the main character, and and Dylan's sort of the secondary character, but they're both the main characters. Dylan or Cole is just kind of your your audience surrogate that brings you into the story, so he's the focus. But Dylan's very prominently in it too. All right, yeah. Uh... 32 minutes in right now. I'll give you guys another five minutes to fight it out. So tear each other yeah, apart. I'll, I'll start on this because Tristan did last time. The, the main thing I have with Tristan's is besides like the outrageous plot, like I like Mark's Max Barbacow. And if you just read the, the plot of Palm Springs, I'd probably say like, yeah, that's not going to work. But then you have his cast in that movie and it's fantastic. And it kind of makes the outlandish story work. What your movie is missing is literally anyone charismatic. Like, 
your lead in your movie is someone most famous now for being in a CW show. And the other one, Dylan Sprouse, is barely in anything at all. He's like the lesser brother. So I don't need to see a movie with both of them. It would have been harder to fight against your like kind of outrageous plot if you had just said, my movie stars Andy Samberg as both characters or someone who is comedic and funny who is watchable that could play just both. Like in The Parent Trap, it wasn't two you know, different people. It was just Lindsay Lohan being both. You could have done something easy like that. Maybe the Sprouses were like background characters, but even just just having a good director, if you throw in people who I'm not interested in seeing their movie, like I'm not going to go Sears. It sounds too ridiculous. I would have to be sold on the actors for, you know, to be interested in yours, you know, and it just nothing in your movie sounds like anything that would really draw people out other than attaching the name Palm Springs. But I think that would help if you had some better actors in there. Well, I think the Palm Springs name is the big attachment. You know, I, I'm not an Andy Samberg fan. I don't typically watch his movies, but I watched Palm Springs and thought it was great. And I think anything Max Barbicow does next, you could take a ridiculous premise and make it something great. You mentioned it in your own argument that if you read out the the plot to Palm Springs, it would sound it would sound bad. But you give Max Barbicow that script and he makes makes it something great. He brings out a great performance from actors uh, Andy Samberg, who typically is funny and stuff but he's not like in my mind a big draw for me personally to go see movies but i i went and saw palm springs because of the acclaim for it and now i'm ready to see max Barbicow's next work and i think cole sprouse and dylan sprouse sure uh cole is known for riverdale now but i think our generation knows him pretty well from sweet life of zach and cody and i think they showed in that show comedic timing and uh yeah, yeah, charisma between each timing. other and that's a, that's a skill to develop, and I think now that you're, now that are especially Cole is more experienced as an actor, I think he could lead this a lot. And Dylan's supporting role, like I said, he's not the main focus, but he's there throughout the movie. And you lean on Cole, who's more experienced. You have the nostalgia of these two char- these two brothers together on screen again. I would definitely be in, into that. You know, I watched Sweet Life, Zack and Cody all the time when I was a kid. And regardless of the quality of the show, now it was a well received. Uh, kid show at the time and I think it would be really fun to see them both back on screen together again and Max Barbacow could make the most of that I mean you could literally have just everything that you just said you could have been like yeah I cast Drake and Josh in my movie and they had good chemistry together when they were kids in a show that doesn't hold up like it's a kid show on the Disney channel that doesn't show they have comedic timing that they can still carry it out absolutely in your does it does not because i'm not interested i wouldn't go see your movie if it was other kid actors that haven't really done anything interesting since you know like i think it's different like you know none of them have really done anything like the work that zendaya or someone like that has done since since leaving um i, I i'd be fine with them as side characters like i think they're capable of doing like small roles but i don't know who's really rushing out to see this one like it just the story's outlandish and ridiculous almost as much as the original movie um and it's just like i don't know i'd rather see something um mine would be closer to i don't know if anyone has seen the movie loose or the stage play um it's about um a kid who was adopted by white parents who was a child soldier and now he's older and you kind of don't have that growing point it's kind of just they suspect him of maybe still having violent urges I want to see a film, maybe similar tones, but about the actual growth of someone um, that went through something so traumatic as a kid and is coming to a new life. I, I think that would be a movie that got people, uh, you know, to see it. I think it could have important messages in there. It would bring light on on something that actually is a real thing. You know, like 
child soldiers and stuff. How many movies have you seen like mine? Like I could just watch any old comedy. I could go watch blended and it's going to be just as good as your movie. But you know, mine is just like, you know, bad actors in a bad scenario. Um, you know, like, Oh, fish out of the water type things. I don't really care about that. I want to see like growth of characters and stuff. And I don't think I'm getting that out of your, your movie the way mine does. Mine's all about the growth of the characters. It's about Cole Sprouse feeling tired of his suited up adult life in New York city thinking, Oh, I'm going to go out to this hippie commune and I'm going to find a new life. And you have, meanwhile, Dylan Sprouse is on hippie commune. He's not happy with it. He's, he's dreaming about like an urban life going and living in New York city. And they get this swap. They think they've got what they wanted and they learn that it's not what they wanted at all. And they learn to appreciate what they, what uh, they've had. And that's called character development. Yours is a musical about child soldiers. That sounds terrible. Like what I don't understand. You're saying you're going to make yours about serious subjects. It's jungle of jungle. Why is it commenting on child soldiers? It's a musical version of jungle to jungle. Because no one gives a shit about the title. No one, no one knows what the fuck jungle to jungle is. You could title any movie that and change it up. He goes from a jungle as a child soldier to the New York jungle, you know, the concrete jungle. That's all you need in your movie. You know, it doesn't matter like what the fucking original one was. People are going to go see mine and not even connect it to that. And you don't need to. Same with yours. Your movie has nothing to do with, right. you know, the original. Right. Or, I'll let you guys go a minute long. I, th- I know where I'm going. Uh, Bobby, what are, what are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts, and I was waiting for someone to maybe bring this up and Tristan hit on it. The the name Jungle 2 Jungle with even the number two, I think that fits a twins, you know, fish out of water scenario. And I'd like to see a comedy version um, because you can put, you can make comedy out of situations rather than having just Andy Samberg. So his sounded a little bit more interesting to me rather than Johnny's, which sounded a little bit more. Like it's a sweet story, but I don't know like if it really what it would be like. For a good what movie. I would it's a musical it. about child soldiers. That yeah, sounds... little little. It's about the growth like, of someone who box had... office, Yeah, I don't give a fuck about box office. But it's bad movies anyway. But yeah, that, Joe, that's what's your idea? So my thing is, I feel like if Tristan had picked better twins, like obviously, like use the Sprouse twins was a rule, but I feel like you could have used them somewhere else or like included them in this movie in a different way. My thing is with this, I feel like I've seen that movie before. It's like, oh, it's twins switching places and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like it's also not like, I mean, one of the twins has retired. Like when I thought of this rule, I'm like, okay, you like find a spot to use them in a background. Like I didn't think of like using them as the main, uh, main pieces in a movie. And so I just, I just don't know if like. I just don't see a scenario in which Tristan's movie is above like, eh. Like, it might be okay. Where I think Johnny's movie actually deals with, like, some interesting things. And I feel like you can make a... Like, because at least from what I got from his movie, we're not seeing him as a child soldier. It's more of, like, the aftermath of that and dealing with that. And I could see a situation where it's, like, music is used to calm him and PTSD and that type of things. And to me, that doesn't sound too bad. It actually sounds interesting, and I haven't seen that before. And so, yeah, I'm going with Johnny. Johnny gets the Boom! Joe got it. Tristan's in a little bit of a hole. Tristan's yeah. got to pull himself out. But we do have some live comments. Uh, Dune Slug on, on Twitch, he seemed really into Johnny's pick of uh, Tessa Thompson because he's just message out, hell yeah, Tessa Thompson. He also asked, what does the score go to? Uh, it's a good point to bring up. So first person to four points wins. However, at the end of this match, because there are seven rounds, if someone wins five to two, then the next time those two people face, 
uh, the person with five points gets a repeat a rule, which means they can say, I don't like that rule. I'm going to use one of the other rules twice while their competitor still has to use all seven rules. If they win six to one, then they get a repeat a rule and they also get to name the movie they start with in their next match. And if they win seven nothing, then they get an automatic title shot because how we're doing championships is if Tristan beats Johnny today, he doesn't win the championship. Tristan has to beat me and Bobby to then get a shot at the championship because someone who's on a four-game losing streak who gets matched up with Johnny and has a fluke win shouldn't get the championship. So if you skunk someone and win seven to nothing, I feel like that should deserve you a championship. So that's how scoring works, and that's why we will continue past four. And we also have uh, Spinner58 commented, great new look, especially the info on the sidebars. Thank you. That was all me. I spent an entire day, <laughs> I spent an entire two days making this, and it was a pain in the cock tube. So, uh, Tristan, where are we going next, and who's going first? I'm going to go with the one and only Troll 2, and I'm going to go first, because right. mine's obviously going to be better. All right. Troll 2 came out in 1990, got a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, directed by Claudio Fregasso. And according to Wikipedia, Troll 2 was produced under the title Goblins and conceived as a horror film with elements of comedy. The American producers and distributors were skeptical about its chances to succeed and decided to market it as a sequel to the 1986 horror film Troll. However, the two films have no connection and this movie features no trolls. The plot concerns a family pursued by vegetarian goblins who seek to mutate them into plants so that they can eat them. Production was rife with difficulties, largely due to the language barrier between the Italian-speaking crew and the English-speaking cast, and producer Joe D'Amato's approach to low-budget filmmaking. The resulting film is considered by some as one of the worst movies ever made. All right. Uh, like you said, one of the worst movies ever made, but I've seen this plenty of times. It's one of those so-good-it's-bad kind of cult status movies, you know, like The Room, like Rocky Horror Picture Show, like Killer Clowns they had the poster up there, but it tried you know, jumped off the wall right there. But I, as a big fan of this movie, I know that you cannot make this movie better. All you can do is make it more ridiculous. And the best way to make this more ridiculous is to turn it into a musical. So I called Mind Troll to the Lackism, which is the musical backwards, just like uh, Nilbog in the, in the movie was Goblin backwards. And the only way to add to that is it's not just a musical. It's a musical starring a bunch of B-movie cult status actors from across the ages who have garnered cult followings. Uh, I'll go through the plot really quick. Uh, Troll to the Lackasum is set in 1985. It follows a family who travels to a small Midwestern town filled with strange locals who are secretly trolls. They must use their wits, their love for each other, and their love for music to escape Nilbog before they are eaten and sacrificed by the trolls. In my cast, you're the leader of the goblins, is none other than Tommy Wiseau from The Room. The sheriff of Nilbog is Matt Hannon, who played Samurai Cop in Samurai Cop 1 and 2, B-movie classics. Grandpa Seth, who is sort of hallucin uh, the hallucination of their dead uh, grandpa that I see throughout the movie. It's never explained. He's just kind of there in, in, as a ghost. He's played by George Hardy, who played the lead in Troll 2 originally. And he's kind of a big fan of the, of the fandom around this, so he'd be, he's eager to kind of get back and do it again, he said. And... Michael the Dad is played by Charlie Sheen. His B-movie is his entire life. 
Diana, the mom, is Denise Richards, uh, ex of Charlie Sheen. Cool. They've they're back on good terms now, and she's well known for being in Tally and the T Rex, uh, another great great B movie oh, classic. The daughter is played by Whitney Moore from Birdemic, the lead of Birdemic, a classic classic, ultimate classic. And the son, the 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 brother of Whitney Moore's character, is Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> He he seems like a guy who showed up in big movies now. He just has fun. You know, he's in Guns Akimbo, those kind of movies. He just shows up and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in this weird role in this B movie. And I totally accept that. Daniel Radcliffe, do you, man. He seems like he'd have fun being in this really cheesy Troll 2 the musical. It's filled with uh, cheesy lyrics, dancing goblins, all original music. Maybe you bring in uh, Pioneer Rex, who did Big Love. They could probably use some of the soundtrack on here. I'm sure they'd make some great great music for this maybe you bring in the dickies who did the killer clown soundtrack they can make a killer cheesy awesome soundtrack to troll through the musical and i know as a fan i'd be there day one to see this and i'd be there day two to see this and day three and day four and i'd see it over and over again the only way you make this any level of relevant is if you appeal to the cult fans of troll 2 which i'm one of them and you're never going to make this good you're never going to make this mass appeal all you do is lean into what troll 2 is and make it ridiculous and exaggerated as you possibly can. And that's my pitch. All right. And uh, one thing before Johnny starts I forgot to say is this was the movie that Bobby and I decided on together, so we will be co-choosing the winner for this one. So, Johnny, you're up. Um, yeah, we went a different direction. I thought Tristan would come in with more fire than that. And obviously, he's fired up about his own movie, but Jesus fucking Christ, are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't need more Sharknados in my life. Um... So I'm going with uh, Troll 2. I changed things up uh, quite a bit because while Tristan says, you know, oh, you got to embrace it. No, you can go, you know, decently far away from it with keeping some of the same stuff to uh, appeal to uh, some of the other, you know, some of the people that enjoy this uh, this movie. So my director uh, is good at doing things like that. He's Drew Goddard. He did Cabin in the Woods, which is kind of the uh, the tone style I'm going for uh, with this one. My uh I have four leads. My lead, Joshua, is going to be played by Skylar Gacindo, who we cast a lot, but he's really good, and I want to see him in more things. He was in Booksmart, uh, probably his most famous role. Um, Diana is going to be played by Haley Steinfeld. She was great in Edge of 17. She's a good young actress in you know, everything she's in. Um, my Michael is going to be played by Hayden uh, Setso, uh, or Sito. He was in Edge of 17 as well, as well as uh, Truth or Dare. And then my uh, other uh, character is Holly. That's going to be played by Odia Rush, who was in Lady Bird and Goosebumps. So this is the pitch of my movie. Four friends decide to stay at Joshua's childhood cabin right outside of the strange little town of Nilbog. The four of them get to the cabin. Each couple goes into a different room. Joshua has not been there since he was a little, or since he was little, and the cabin is covered in movie posters. He's got killer clowns from outer space, Batman and the Joker. He's got... Um, aliens. He's got all these different movie posters uh, hanging out. So um, the, the gang starts drinking and strange things start to happen. Josh walks into his room and sees uh, all the villains on the movie posters are missing and he thinks something's weird. Then the, the uh, uh, so his, uh, his Batman poster used to have the Joker, the aliens posters not have any aliens. His childhood favorite movie Troll 2 poster is missing the goblins. The friends here knock on the cabin. They look to see who it is, and it's a man in a clown suit and a purple jacket. They realize the Joker is after them, so they have to fight off the Joker, and then they have to fight off um, a bunch of different movie characters coming to try to kill them one after one because the kind of the 
goblin magic in this one is going to just kind of um, steal those characters, and those characters are going to attack uh, the children in the house. They're not going to be like fully powered aliens because it's just like a, a powerful evil force stealing the look of the aliens off it, but everything is somewhat easy to kill once they figure out how to do it. Um, and then the last thing that they turn into, um, at the end, uh, Michael starts to uh, eat something and the food turns green. And Joshua knows exactly what that means is coming. He says to stop eating, the food's green. And then Michael dies in the same fashion as the uh, Troll 2 movie originally. And they are attacked by the goblins from Troll 2 with the same style of look um, as, the, as the original. So you get that in there too. Um, so that's my movie. It's basically... Cabin in the Woods style, like, you can kind of, it has some, it's not really, like, scary moments, but it has horror tropes, and it has the characters kind of commenting on it, um, and it has uh, some famous movie monsters and characters attacking the kids like the Joker, and obviously my role is include the Joker in the, in the movie, so that's my my uh, my troll, too. All right. Oh, Bobby, I've kind of been in the driver's seat for most of this. What are you thinking? Yeah. Um, you any questions? Honestly, Tristan's, even though it sounds like he's pitching only a, a movie only he would like, um, kind of leans into, like, I, I enjoy those, you know, cult movies as well, and that sounds like a lot of fun. But Johnny's sounds like a legitimately, like, good fun movie, so I kind of want to hear some defense, like, from that. Um, for Johnny, do you, uh, who's playing the Joker in yours? Like, what version of it is it? So he's going to look like the Dark Knight Joker because that's the poster that's going to come off of. But I think the only person that can really do that character um, is, uh, is uh, what's it, Bill Skarsgård, who is uh, okay. Pennywise. So it'll yeah. kind of have a reference to him being, you know, the killer clown of It, but he is uh, the Joker. I'd like to see him in that, in that role. Okay. Um, and Tristan, since you have the uh, actor from Samurai Cop, do you have, like, one of his monologues, like uh... – I'm telling these crazy son of a bitches type uh, monologues from him to kind of reference that at all. Oh, of course, because you think that if you've seen the original, you know that uh, the sheriff is a bad guy and all the town members are the bad guys. So you're kind of assuming that Matt Hannon is going to be a bad guy too. But by the end, he teams up with the family and he gives a huge, great monologue attacking the goblins saying these damn goblins and these damn monsters and gives this hype monologue to the family and kind of is like their inspiration for them to get in the charge of the final battle and fight these these uh, goblins in the final battle. So he gives like a nice big uh, pet monologue right at the end as a tribute to Samurai Cop. Okay. Joe, what are you thinking? Uh, I mean, I'm leaning towards Tristan a little bit, but I'm not fully against Johnny or anything. I could definitely be sway easily be swayed by the arguments. I'm like 51-49, so I'm kind of yeah. just... What do you say? Do you think we say just five minutes on the clock and then we'll make our decision from there? Yeah, I'd say uh, so, because I'm... I'm... In a uh, similar boat, but it's pretty split. But I think the arguments can sway me pretty easily. All right, it's at fifty-one forty-five. You have until fifty-six forty-five, and then we'll make our decision. So, I'll just start off and say mine sounds cheesy or ridiculous because it is, and it's going exactly for that crowd. People go and see Chopping Mall in the theater. People go and see The Room in the theater. People will go see this, and I think those movies have a cult following for a reason, and it's because despite being cheesy or ridiculous, there's like an earnestness to it. And I think that you can bring that with all of these guys, like, especially Matt Hannon and, and, and Tommy Wiseau, like, they've really been able to lean into their persona as these cult, as these cult uh, film kind of guys. And I think they would have a blast getting the most out of these roles and getting the most out of this movie. And it just sounds like an incredibly fun time. Johnny sounds like 
an all right movie. You know, it sounds like something that I'd watch and be like, oh, that was pretty cool. And then just like never think about it again. But I'd forever think about the movie that had Tommy Wiseau and Matt Hannon in the same movie together with Charlie Sheen and Denise Richards and uh, Whitney Moore from Redemic. Like that would be in my my movie collection forever. Just like just like Troll 2 is right here. You know, I, I would be keeping it side by side with this movie. It'd be Troll 2, Troll 2, the musical. And it would be like the perfect double feature. I, I think this just sounds perfectly hand in hand with the original Troll 2. And it sounds like it appeals to not just fans of Troll 2 specifically, but fans of the entire sort of B-movie subgenre. Yeah, no. I mean, realistically here, would you rather see Cabin in the Woods or any of the fucking Sharknado movies? Like, there is an audience for Tristan's movie, yes, but the movie's not good. It's literally trash. And while some people can watch these things and be entertained, it felt like homework for me when I watched The Room, and I had to do it with other people's commentary over it. Like, if I were to sit there and watch The Room by myself, I would slit my wrist by the end of it. Like, I cannot watch these type of movies by myself. Like, Sure, you put it in a packed theater, maybe you'll get like a couple like people to go see it and it would be fun like if some people have it. But how many fucking cities actually have like, oh, oh, this is like Troll 2, the musical. Let's all go see it. Let's sell out this theater and we'll have a real big fun time like Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, it's nothing like that. Like, you know, The Disaster Artist is a good movie because um, it kind of just tells the story of how the other one was made. But I can't watch The Room. I can watch The Disaster Artist. You're going to make me sit down and watch like your movie, even like the stunt casting of your movie literally is by the time they get to like the sequels of Sharknado, it's Tara Reid and Denise Richards and Matt Lauer and all these people like that, like Clay Aiken is in one of them. Like, it's just like no one actually needs to see these people act or be in movies like that's a fun little viewing experience that you're going to have once. But what movie if I'm sitting at home, I got to put on the one that has like real actors by a real director and you know some actual monsters that's going to be fun i'm going to watch that i'm not going to fucking watch your pile of shit b movie that maybe if i'm hammered with my friends one time i watch it and we just make fun of it but like that's one thing like i can watch cabin in the woods whenever but i can't fucking watch your type of movies like I, i'm not going to sit down and watch troll 2 like that shit is it's painful and like if you're a real film fan like that you're sitting down to watch a movie you enjoy. Maybe you have friends over and you watch like some shitty B movie, but like, I can't fucking deal with that. So maybe you win because our judges have like, just, they think Sharknado is fun, but like you can have bad, bad takes. And you know, Tristan, you like movie cats. Okay. That's fine. No one else is going to go fucking see cats. Like, you know, like, I mean, it's sold out in theaters three times a week until the pandemic shut it down. And the room sells out in theaters it. all the time. The room sells out all the time. They do monthly showings at a theater by me, and it sells out every single month. Rocky Horror does too. These movies have a huge following. Not just you see it once. Like your movie sounds no, like, oh, no, I go see it in theaters, no. and it's fine. You, they have You're delusional things. if you think they no, don't have they following. Have these they sell out every they, single time they, they screen them. Out, if they threw the room or Troll 2 you got one in, a theater, in a theater Troll by 2 me, sells out no one, every no one, single month. No one is going to go see it. Maybe it does in Chicago at the biggest theater or Los Angeles in the biggest theater or New York in the biggest theater. And you have all these people that work in the business and appreciate these movies and go see it. Sure. But no one else is going to see that doesn't have actual like wide appeal. You're overselling how many people actually can watch these fucking movies. Sharknado, the first one got a lot of views and then every movie since then has gotten less and less and less and less. And by the time like the fucking fifth one came out, like, they, they're getting no viewers. Like, people are sick of these style of, of things, you know? And I, I think people would rather go see a movie of Troll 2 that is like the disaster artist that 
kind of does the um, explanation of how the movie was made and you have people playing the characters that you are pitching, but actual actors doing so would be fine. But no one, like, your movie, I would fucking kill myself over watching your movie. And if the judges go your way, like, that's fine. It's a bad take. But some people like that stuff. But for me personally, like, I would rather be dead than sit through what you just pitched me. All right, Tristan, I'm going to give you any rebuttal to what he just said. And then we're up. I mean, I've seen Cabin in the Woods once or twice, and it was good. I've seen Troll 2, like, 15 times, and I can't wait to watch it. I watched it literally right before we started. I finished, I rolled, I rolled credits like 10 minutes before I got on this call. So, Troll 2, these movies would not have a following if people didn't, I mean, no one would talk about these if they didn't have a following. So, the fact that we're even talking about Troll 2 proves you wrong. Yeah, there are, like, there are a lot followers. of dumb people in this world. Look who the fucking president was the last four years. There are a lot of idiots. I'm not appealing to them. I'm appealing to myself and people who appreciate good films and can't just sit there and watch the guy go, oh my all right, so god, we're... again. All right. So we're making the same be, points uh, over and over. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bobby, what are you thinking? What are you leaning? So I'm kind of 50-50, um, so if you're kind of... Yeah, I mean, they're close because, like, Johnny sounds like a watchable, like, fun movie, but I think a little oh, bit of a hindrance to him is the fact that um, he used the Dark Knight Joker, and you can't have Heath Ledger. So even though you got a good actor to replace him, I don't really want to see someone else play that role. If you're going to use the Joker, movie poster. yeah, but I'd, I'd rather him have a poster of the like animated. A, and it's a five-minute scene. I'm, I'm judging. I know, but so so still, I'd rather have uh, him have a poster of the animated Mark Hamill Joker, and an animated Joker shows up because that's what would come up, and he and he plays. I'm like something a little different. Tristan sounds like a lot of fun to me that I could watch while hammered. Um, and I do enjoy watching these bad movies every once in a while, not as much as Tristan does. Um, so even though Johnny sounds watchable, I don't know if it would be one I'd watch more than once or twice or something like that. And Tristan's, I could see getting a group together and watching that movie, especially with the music element. I think that makes it a little bit more watchable and fun. So was, sure. is that where your vote's going? Is Tristan? Yeah, my vote's, my vote's to Tristan. Yeah, I was super close, and I kind of feel like I'm not as high as on Cabin in the Woods as most people, and uh, I feel like Johnny's just feels like Cabin in the Woods, but we're going to take out like some villains and just replace them with other villains, and I feel like I'd, I'd feel like if I Sorry. walked into Johnny's movie and came out, I'd be like, oh, that was well made, but I saw that. Like, it's Cabin in the Woods. So I just, so... And Tristan's felt a little more unique, and I felt like it's definitely like if you're going to see Troll 2 and you see Tristan's movie, you're going to be satisfied because you knew exactly what you were getting and you got what you wanted. And so I'm going to go with Tristan as well. And we do have some uh, live comments. Right. Uh, Slug again, lighting up the Twitch stream chat, says uh, he doesn't want to hear Daniel Radcliffe sing, though. And then he says, okay, 30 seconds into Johnny's pitch, I'd rather hear Daniel Radcliffe sing. <laughs> <laughs> he then said, uh, in all caps with the exclamation point, lean into the cult classic. And he says, yeah, Johnny is all offense and Tristan is all defense. And then when uh, Johnny brought up uh, Donald Trump, he said, ooh, getting political. So there we go. That's that's the chat. And Johnny, you lost your first round of the night, so you get to pick where we go. Yeah, I'm swaying here. I don't know what to go with next. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with one. I... Uh... Going into it, maybe thought I wouldn't be high in my pitch because um, animated movies are, are maybe tough to do. So I'm going to go with How to Train Your Dragon. Um, and I'm going to have 
Tristan, go go first on this one. All right. So this was actually uh, Bobby's pick, so he's going to be judging this. So, but I'll read the little blurb about it. So, How to Train Your Dragon came out in 2010. Got a 99% in Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Chris Sanders and Dean DeBlois. Uh, he. Uh, it is an American computer animated action fantasy film loosely based on the 2003 book of the same name. It stars the voices of Jay Baruchel, Gerard Butler, Craig Ferguson, America Ferreira, Jonah Hill, Christopher Mintz-Ploss, TJ Miller, and Kristen Wiig. The story takes place in a mythical Viking world where a young Viking teenager named Hiccup aspires to follow his tribe's tradition of becoming a dragon slayer. After finally capturing his first dragon, a Night Fury, and with his chance at last of gaining the tribe's acceptance he finds that he no longer wants to kill the dragon and instead befriends it even calling him toothless and that is how to train your dragon all right for mine i use the rule that you must uh resurrect a director's career and the director whose career i resurrected was andrew adamson who directed shrek one and two as well as the first chronicles of narnia movie and he's kind of totally fallen off since then he hasn't done anything since i think his work in Shrek 2, I mean, Shrek 1 and 2 both show he works well in animation, fantasy, and Chronicles of Narnia was also fantasy action, so I think he's a perfect choice to resurrect How to Train Your Dragon, but I did a lot to change it up because, like Johnny said, I don't know, it's hard to, re it's hard to reboot like a movie that's already pretty damn good in the first place, and it's like an animated movie, so what can you really do better? So instead of doing it better, I just did it differently, and I set mine in Feudal Japan, uh, a loyal samurai is looking to prove himself to his new lord, and he's tasked with hunting down a creature who has been attacking workers and destroying farms and fields. His investigation quickly leads him to a large red dragon, and I designed my dragon based off, instead of the traditional, like, Middle Ages kind of dragon design they used in the movie, I used a feudal Japan design where it's like a wingless scaled serpent, and I have him living in a waterfall cave nearby the, nearby the, uh, the town. Uh, because in tradition, Japanese dragons are very attached to water, so I had him living in a waterfall cave. Uh, the samurai initially battles the dragon, but he is quickly defeated and forced to flee. And he's in shameful defeat. You know, sam if samurai gets defeated, they have to live in shame. And in his defeat, he's rescued by a Buddhist monk who nurses him back to health and teaches him of unity and inner peace. And he uses this new knowledge of unity and inner peace to... Uh, go back and, and try and reunite with this dragon and when he hears of an army of fighters planning to invade the land armed with new weaponry technology like explosives and firearms and something that would totally outbattle his swords and shield type uh, weaponry of this era in Japan uh, he leaves the seclusion to ask the dragon for help and he proves his change of heart by defeating attackers who are fighting the dragon uh, and together the dragon and the samurai begin a reluctant a friendship where they've seen past their their sort of antagonistic ways at the beginning of the film and now they're teaming up to fight off these invaders of Japan and defend the kingdom. And in the end, of course, they save the kingdom and his master is very proud of the samurai and asks him to come back into his service, but the samurai says, I failed you. I need to, instead of serving you, I'm going to serve the people of Japan. And him and the dragon go off as a, as a duo to, 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 to fight other monsters and to save the people and just kind of, you know, off into another adventure at the end. And that's my pitch. All right. All right. Well, Tristan, I, I thought going into this, it's kind of a trap to 
if you made it live action, it was going to fail. Um, so I agree with you on uh, some of the things you did with yours and the direction you went with yours. But mine, instead of using the guy who did Shrek to make a Japanese film, my director is Hayao Miyazaki, and mine is going to be a Studio Ghibli version of How to Train Your Dragon. Um, so obviously for the uh, um, like the American voiceover versions of these movies, they always get pretty big names or at least working actors with some recognition. So um, I'm just going to kind of read you my cast, and maybe the names will get lost in the, in the shuffle here. But just to give you an idea of some of the people that will be doing mine, my lead uh, will be Hotaru. Uh, that's going to be played by Olivia Cook, uh, who is great in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl in Bates Motel. Um, my Kano and Kono are twins. They're going to be voiced by Dylan and Cole Sprouse. So this is where I'm including the uh, the Sprouse twins. My Nobu is going to be uh, voiced by Nick Jonas. Uh, my Sayoko is going to be played by uh, Natalia Dyer from Stranger Things. And those four that I just listed are going to be kind of a like the group of friends, like similar to how, how the Train Your Dragon was with the other kids. Um, and then uh, Hotaru's father, Ronan, is going to be voiced by Jason Bateman. Hotaru's mother, uh, Mia, is going to be uh, voiced by Sonoya uh, Mizuno, who is in Devs and um, uh, a million other great things, Crazy Rich Asians, um, and Ex Machina. So here is my uh, pitch. Set in 1700s Japan in a small samurai village, a young girl named Hotaru uh, has always dreamed of being a samurai like her father. The problem is that samurai are all men, and she is always told she is not fit to be a warrior. She tries to prove to everyone that she can be a warrior because of her great inventions. The other kids in her village make fun of her for being so strange and feels that she and she feels she never fits in. The village also has a major problem. There's a very dangerous group of uh, human-like creatures that the village is at war with. The creatures have dragons under their control and use them to attack the samurai. One day, Hotaru is trying to test her latest invention, a flying suit. She tries to fly over a river um, from a cliff, and at first it seems like it's working, and then uh, the wing breaks, and she crash lands on the other side uh, uh, of, the, of the river. She is horrified when she sees the eyes of a dragon staring at her. She tries to run, but is chased down by the dragon. Covering her eyes, she expects to be eaten, but she feels the small dragon lick her face. She realizes this dragon will not bring her harm, and she starts a friendship with him. The small dragon has no teeth, so Hotaru names him Noha. This translates to no teeth in Japanese. Uh, Hotaru and Noha form a special bond until one day she is followed by some of the kids in town. The group of kids uh, run to head back to the village to tell the leaders that Hotaru was playing with a dragon, but their trip is uh, their trip back is interrupted by creatures. Hotaru sees this uh, because she was chasing them down to stop them. She calls for Noha and rescues the others from the creatures. Um, after this, the other kids become friends with Hotaru, help her keep her secret. They don't tell anyone of the dragon. News of the creature attacking the local village is delivered uh, to the el uh, news of the creatures attacking a local village is delivered to the elders of the village, and the samurai decide they must go help, even though they are highly outnumbered. Ronan leads this, uh, the samurai to the village to try and help stop the creatures. The kids are scared for their fathers, so they decide to help. Noha leads the kids to other dragons, and they fly in to help the samurai defeat the creatures and save their parents uh, and the other people in their village. This sets up a third act, act uh, action sequence, um, and uh, the samurai end up victorious because of the help from Hotaru and the other kids. This helps the elders realize they have to adapt, and their old ways will not keep everyone safe. 
they embrace dragons and help uh and with help from Hotaru, they learn how to train their dragons. So that's my pitch. It's a Studio Ghibli movie. I agree with Tristan as far as like the look of the dragons. It's going to be very similar to like old school Japanese drawings. Um, it's going to be more of like dragons, like similar Genron. to Genron. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly who I was going to do from from Dragon Ball Z with like the longer bodies and stuff like that. Um, and I, I just think there was really only you had to keep this animated. You could only go a couple directions with it, and I. I like what I what I ended up with. Mine is going to be more tone wise, similar to it's got to be going to have mystical things like Spirit Away, but tone wise it's going to be closer to like a Princess Mononoke, have more creatures and a little more action um, in it, like at the end especially. So that's my uh, my movie. All right, Bobby, you're in charge. So, all right. Um, so it's interesting. I I'm a little split because. Um, Johnny, I think you fit your director better to your, the story you're telling, um, but I think you stuck a little close to the original story, so I kind of want you to defend that as you go. And then Tristan, just it's mainly just your director choice. I love your story. Um, I think that's a really good pitch, but just defend how the director of Shrek and Shrek 2 can, uh, can make this type of movie. Um, I also need to hear a little bit more on themes and stuff that might tie a Studio Ghibli film for Johnny. But, I mean, these aren't direct questions. just things you can... Um, address as you fight if you want if you want to just get into the five minutes um, I don't know if you want to do it that way Joe or just yeah, have I can, him kind I can of re- rebut that yeah I'm, I mean I'm split 50-50 kind of so really if you want to do five minutes that's good with me so yeah we're at one ten twenty now so at one fifteen twenty, I'll stop the clock All right. I'll start and defend my director choice first off I think uh, Andrew Adamson showed in these first two Shrek movies it can capture like a really good sense of adventure and I I went for that like someone who could really capture that sense of fun and the sense of purpose like you see Shrek has a really good arc in those movies and I think like I want to I want to make sure I get to the heart of, of the characters a little bit and I think Andrew Adamson showed in Shrek 1 and 2 that he ha- he can have this big fantasy adventure with fantasy creatures but also have a heart to the characters so I went with him on that and I think Chronicles Narnia showed he has potential to do action and kind of like franchise work really well, but never really went anywhere after he left the project. So I really want to see him get onto another franchise and get his chance to sort of uh, make a make a story of his own. Like obviously he's adapting uh, How to Train Your Dragon, but it's a much different premises, a totally different setting. I think it gives him a lot of freedom to roam, like he had with Shrek One and Two. And I really would love to see him come back and make something great. I, I love the first Shrek movie, the second one too. I love the first, I love first Chronicles of Narnia, so I I definitely be down for How to Train a Dragon from the director of Chronicles of Narnia, the director of Shrek One and Two. It just I just love his sense of fun, his sense of adventure. So that's why I went with him. Yeah, mine. Um, to answer more Bobby's Bobby's thing with the as far as themes go, the theme of a lot of the uh, Studio Ghibli movies is just growth and understanding, and um, the growth of young characters into like braver, more adventurous souls who are maybe you know, scared at first. So I think while that is similar to what they do in How to Train Your Dragon, I went towards Studio Ghibli because a lot of the themes of How to Train Your Dragon are very much Miyazaki films. So that is what really um, stuck with me, why I wanted to go with someone that actually fit with making a similar movie. I don't think you need to change up um, this movie too, too much. You know, I think all the story with like the kids is similar in mine, um, but obviously it's like, slight differences they don't have this weird competition that they're 
you know, trying to kill the dragon or anything. You don't have the village scared of dragons. It's just that the creatures that they're going against, that's the real enemy. You don't have anything like that in How to Train Your Dragon. You have, um, you know, they want to kill the dragons. They're afraid of the dragons. You have the, the parents that are encouraging their kids to be warriors. Mine is going to be the samurai's goal, they feel, is to keep their kids safe. They don't want them to be fighting. They don't want them to, you know, go out there and risk their lives. But then the kids show that, there are other methods to this to keep our people safe, to, to um, you know, defeat these evil creatures. And that's kind of the goal by the end of the film. The, the kids grow into, you know, brave characters that can actually help defend the village and show their worth to their parents that are very old school samurai. This is our way. You know, you don't differ from this. If you know anything about samurai, that's really how they are. And... I trust Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki to really nail a story set in Japan about samurai over the guy who did Shrek, which doesn't hold up at all, and Shrek 2, which is fine, maybe a little better than the first one, but also doesn't hold up, and Crowns of Narnia is just bad. So I don't get the use of this. His his animation is not going to look too different than the original one, and I feel like while you can maybe change the story, changing the animation up, is, is going to make a huge difference. A Studio Ghibli movie looks nothing like How to Train Your Dragon. Shrek just looks like an outdated version of How to Train Your Dragon, even the dragon in the movie, um, Shrek. So I don't get where this is going to really differentiate itself um, or be similar enough. Like, if it completely differentiates itself, it's not going to be similar enough to the original to even, you know, use the title. So I wanted to do mine in a new way that keeps some of the same themes of the original, keeps the good stuff of the original, but changes things up to fit my director and my style. I think mine's very faithful to the original. It's focused on a single warrior who's kind of an outcast and he's his relationship with a singular dragon. I think it's very focused. I think yours has too many characters. I think mine is focused on the one character, his one relationship with the one dragon. And you bring in the support like the monk and also had the monk's daughter as a character in here too. And you have supporting characters, but... I really wanted to focus on that core warrior and his core arc in this story. And I think, sure, of course, it's not going to look like Shrek. Shrek came out how many years ago? It's going to look like it came out in 2021. You know, he's not going to do the exact same animation quality of Shrek. It's going to be his chance to go back to animation and make it make the quality, obviously, a lot higher and really be able to revisit fantasy. And I think you said Chronicles Narnia is bad, but I think the first one is, is really good. And... As soon as he left the franchise, it all went downhill from there. And I think you can tell from the quality of the movie. The first one's a really fun action movie, and then they go bad. And I think he could turn this into a really fun action movie with a lot of heart. I think Shrek shows he has heart. Chronicles of Narnia shows he has action. I mean, it's a perfect fit. And you criticize mine for having the guy who did Shrek making a Japanese story, and yet your entire cast is like Nick Jonas, you know? Like this. Yeah, it's like every Studio Ghibli movie when it comes to the U.S., like Christian Bale doing the voice in Howl's Moving Castle. That's what I'm going for. So, yes, that's what they do. That's every Studio Ghibli movie. All right, but All I right. still think my movie just sounds, my story just sounds better. I think mine fo is focused on the characters. It's focused on the one arc of this one character. It's him finding his place in the world, him finding his honor again. I think that's thematically fit to the, this kind of story like Japanese samurai era. It's all, it was very honor-focused, I think, having this man who loses his honor and then has to reclaim it and not reclaiming it through violence against the dragon, but reclaiming it through understanding and relationship to the dragon and uh, inner peace and, and those kind of things that were very definitive to the samurais of this era. I think it, it's a different take than him just having to 
fight the big bad guy. You know, he is his goal is ultimately to def to befriend this dragon, and I think it focuses very much on that core relationship and how to train your dragon. And I just think it's a very good fit, and I'm I'm very proud of my movie. I think that my story just sounds a lot better than yours. It sounds a lot more focused. It sounds a lot more character oriented. Right, we're a minute over the five minutes. My movie has a structure, it has a plot, it has character development. Yours kind of just sounded all over the place, just like Shrek. Like, and honestly, the best part of Shrek, you say yours has a good, you know, central character. The worst part of the Shrek movies when you watch them now is Shrek. The only entertaining things are all of the surrounding characters, whether it's Shrek 1 or Shrek 2. The best characters are all the support characters. And then you criticize mine for having too many and yours focuses so much on the first one. So I don't really get where you're going with yours. I don't want the guy who did Shrek that was just all pop culture references for an entire series that don't hold up. You watch that movie, you don't even get half the references because they were very much of their time. Your director is not someone who makes movies that stand the test of time. All Studio Ghibli movies stand the test of time and they always will because they look timeless. Their stories are timeless and you can tie it to the original themes of the original uh, How to Train Your Dragon better than your movie can. Um, and while also changing it up enough to make it look different, feel different, and just be a fantastic movie. All right, yeah, we're over the five yeah. minutes if, if you got your ruling. Uh, I think I do, but just remind, Johnny, what was your rule again? Just, I, I got lost in your story, so. Oh, this, the uh, Sprouse twins are in my movie. They oh, play, yeah, that's right. you know, yeah. like, uh, I think it's T.J. Miller and someone else play like the twin characters. Yeah, Kristen Wiig. Original, yep, yep. yeah. This one, okay. Those characters are both guys, but they're played by the Sprouse twins. Okay. Well, I think I know where I'm leaning, but I do want some input. So, Joe, what are, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, honestly, if Tristan had picked a different director, I might be going his way, but I just don't know if, like, his director really fits his movie. And I like the idea of a Studio Ghibli, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, and I feel like Johnny changed it up enough where it didn't feel like a straight copy. And so I would go with Johnny, but that's okay. just me. Yeah, I mean, my first thoughts, um, like uh, Johnny, I I didn't love the story you told, but the more you described it, I did like it more and more. Um, and I love the style of Studio Ghibli matched with How to Train Your Dragon. Um, and with Tristan, I think you pitched a better better story. Like if, if you had picked a different director, I think that's in the bag for you, um, for sure. And that made it a lot closer uh, but I'd say that Johnny's style uh, and picking, uh, matching the style and the director better to the movie makes it more interesting for me. Uh, so I'm leaning that way. So I think I'm going to give Johnny the point. All right. Thumbs up. Damn right. Another bad ruling. It was an easy ruling. I can't believe it was close. Yeah, it just it was it was it was all about the director choice for that one. You guys like, gotta revisit Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, I, I like it. It's Chronicles of Narnia. It's it's solid. It's okay, but it just the style. I think that movie was good. Is... And when that movie came out, I was a kid. When every movie is just good because you're a kid, and I saw that movie. Yeah. Movie I thought it was okay. It was, it was it was fine. It wasn't great. Yeah. All right, Tristan, where are we going? Let's go with. Uh, coming to America. All right, another uh, Bobby movie. So he's going to be in control on this one too. Coming to America came out in uh, 1988. 
Got a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes, directed by John Landis. According to Wikipedia, it is an American romantic comedy film based on a story originally created by Eddie Murphy, who also starred in the lead role. The film also co-stars Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones, uh, Sherry Headley, and James or John Amos. Eddie Murphy plays Akeem Joffer, the crown prince of the fictional African nation of Zamunda, who travels to the United States in the hopes of finding a woman he can marry. And uh, who's going first? I'll go first. All right. So for my coming to America, the rule that I use is to use all Star Wars actors. Uh, and my director, I use Taika Waititi. And I'll go through my cast here. Uh, Lupita Lyongo is my lead. She plays a queen-to-be who travels to America in order to find a husband that she can marry in time to become queen. John Boyega is her love interest. He's an activist and recording artist. Uh, his family's from Africa, but he's kind of lost his African tradition. He's kind of living an Americanized life now. James Earl Jones, uh, he plays the grandfather of Lupita. He's uh, replaying a similar role to his role from the original where he played the father of Eddie Murphy's character. So having him come back and playing Lupita's grandfather in the in the opening act would be a nice callback to the original, as well as using a Star Wars actor. Uh, Ewan McGregor plays a ridiculous record executive uh, who's... Uh, John Boyega is kind of uh, leader of his record company that he's working for. And Billy Lord is the quirky and privileged daughter of Ewan McGregor's character. She's kind of a mega rich, uh, spoiled kind of girl. I think she played that really in a really fun way. She's had some fun roles in like Booksmart and things like that. Uh, so when she set up for an arranged marriage before taking the throne, uh, queen-to-be Adana Joffair decides to set out to America to find a love of her own. Uh, she's been told many stories of the wondrous opportunities that America presents, and she heads to New York City, where she soon befriends uh, Kelly Marie Tran's character, Carrie. She's in a small role here just because I love Kelly Marie Tran. Uh, she finds herself a job as a secretary uh, for this music label run by Ewan Rugger, his eccentric character, uh, and, and Billy Lord's spoiled Kate. I wanted to use that because in the original, Eddie Murphy gets a role at like a McDonald's, essentially, and... Even though the job sucks, he's so optimistic and so bubbly that he kind of loves it and isn't aware of the fact that it sucks. And I think her working in this sort of like grind yourself to the bone secretary job at this ridiculous uh, record company would be fun because she would be having a great time, even despite the fact that as outside viewers, we know that this job is not like the best. I think uh, she could pull that off pretty well. She's been in some comedies that I think would, she could, especially with Taika Waititi, you can get that kind of dry fun out of these characters like Ewan McGregor's ridiculousness compared to Lupita Nyong'o's character. And we have her meet uh, John Boyega's character at this record label, and they grow close, and they're connecting about like their African heritage, and Lupita's obviously very in touch with her African roots because she's from Africa, and she just came to New York, and John Boyega is totally out of touch with it. And so together they kind of learn a little bit from each other, and John Boyega is is back in touch with his African roots by the end, and she's kind of seen the glory and the highs and lows of America, just like in the original uh, uh, Eddie Murphy meets a activist at a protest, and I wanted to sort of tribute that with John Boyega. He's very active in protesting, so I think he could have a good time with this role. I think Taika Waititi could bring out the fun in these interactions and the kind of campiness of all these characters in this world, and I just think it would be a really fun time to see all these actors interact with each other in a Taika Waititi kind of tone of a movie. That's my pitch for it. All right. Okay, interesting. 
All right. So my coming to America, um, I am resurrecting a director's career. And that director is a man named Greg Matola. Greg Matola. He did a little film called Superbad back in the day, as well as Adventureland. And he really hasn't done anything good since. Um, he's done some TV work, but he really hasn't done any uh, film work. So I, I kind of want to bring him back. I think he could do comedy well nowadays. Um, and uh, I'm also changing the setting because if you just are rebooting Coming to America, I don't understand why you would ever have connections to um, you know, Africa and the original country. So my country is going to take place. Uh, it's a Asian country called Sunda. Um, and my princess Aki, uh, that's my lead is going to be played by Aquafina. Um, Sammy, uh, who is kind of the, um, what's his name role? The other lead of coming to America. Um, Arsenio Hall. Arsenio Hall role, uh, is going to be played by Yifo Lee, who was Mulan. Uh, my Queen Lee is going to be played by Michelle Yao. And my Owen, which is going to be the love interest, is going to be played by someone who I think fits with my character in the movie and can do comedy well, is Nicholas Holt. Um, I like what he's kind of done in his, his career. So that being said, here's my pitch. Aki is a rebellious princess in the country of Sunda. Her mother is Queen Lee, who is very traditional and does not understand Aki's lack of passion at becoming the next queen or finding a husband. Aki is presented with new men every day, but she blows them off and criticizes them. Queen Lee has the idea to send Aki to America to find uh, a husband and sends uh, their loyal bodyguard, Sammy, with her. Aki finds work at an Americanized Chinese restaurant in New York with Sammy. They stay undercover, and Aki is keen on keep on roughing it. Um, when Aki is exploring New York City, she meets a man named Owen at a coffee shop that he owns. Um, Owen is different than all the men she has ever met. He is very awkward around her and does not bow down to her like the men uh, her mother has introduced to her in her old country. Um, Aki and Owen start going on dates and fall in love. Everything is going well until Aki is visited by her mother. Her mother says she has spent too much time in America and needs to come home. Owen is in the apartment and is shocked when he finds out Aki has been lying to him uh, this whole time about who she is. Uh, he leaves upset thinking this was all some sort of game um, that she was messing with him. And then Aki wants to run after him, but her mother uh, says she must come uh, home, and there is a flight leaving in an hour. They found the perfect man for her back home. Sammy is ordered uh, to bring Aki back with them and drive her to the airport. Aki is in the back seat, telling Sammy that she trusted her and thought they were friends and feels betrayed that she is listening to her mother over her. Just then, the car takes a sharp turn and uh, heads straight to Owen's coffee shop. Aki runs out of the car and has a heartfelt moment with Owen. She explains she does not want to live the life of royalty and wants to find someone who loves her for herself, not for her riches. Owen and Aki kiss, and they live happy ever after. My pitch is kind of short to the point where I think you kind of have to do with uh, coming to America, but situation-wise, it's going to be similar. The thing that I wanted to change up is obviously the country of origin. I want it to be um, different in that sense. I want it to feel different. I love Aquafina. I would go see anything she does. She is just one of the most watchable actresses in um, in all of Hollywood right now. And I like the idea of changing up the, um, like the friend role to not a friend, but someone sent there by her mother. It's not their choice to kind of sneak away and go. I like changing that uh, story up and Sammy kind of learns to tolerate and then befriend Aquafina, who's 
always like on her phone and making references that she doesn't understand, whereas everything else in the country is very um, traditional. And I think Aquafina fits my role well. I think all my actors work. Um, and that's my, my coming to America. All right. Bobby. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you have any questions first, Joe? Like, no, I mean, I basically on? understand both of their pitches pretty well. I think I know what they're going yeah. through. Yeah. And that, that, that's kind of where I am, too. So if you add any, I wanted to get them out of the way. But um, I just want to hear, uh, because we didn't get a ton, like I got a, some of the situational humor from Tristan, but just for both of you during your pitches, describe the humor and how it comes into the movie, especially with your director choices. But other than that, fight it out. Um, I think mainly like you'll still have them go to like a basketball game or uh, in something instead, like they go to a Knicks game and you have similar situations of, of the first one in terms of that, but the humor is completely different. I, I think in the original, it was more fish out of the water in sense of like, oh, they come to America and it's very different because they're very traditional. Eddie Murphy is very proper and all this. And I think Aquafina is basically very Americanized and always on her phone and on social media. And she's very different than the rest of her family. That is why they sent her to America because they think maybe they'll find someone there. Um, so when she gets there, she has more of an understanding of the culture. But Sammy, who's um, Yiffy Lu, who played Mulan, is very traditional and does not have an understanding of the culture. So when someone comes in um, to like the Chinese store and they think they're um, and like trying to rob it, similar to the old one, Instead of both of them just like beating him up with a broomstick, Aquafina runs in panic and hides under the counter, but then Sammy takes him out, you know, like uh, beats him up. Like I think changing up the lead character is important, like the um, the tone of the character and into the situation. She feels a little more comfortable in New York, but she does still miss her family because she still, um, you know, understands that and is still um, close with them. But I, I think Aquafina, if you put her into a role, you can't make her like the... Um, Prince Akeem type proper role, you kind of have to have someone different. So that's kind of how my humor is a little different. I think I picked a director to kind of do that and the actors and actresses that can kind of nail that. Uh, for me, Taika Waititi, I think, defines the humor here. I think he can pull off the dryness, but also he can pull off like these very larger than life kind of characters. Like Ewan McGregor's record executive is going to be kind of larger than life and Billy Lord and a lot of your best comedy roles he's always kind of strange and larger than life and i think he could have these ridiculous characters placed in this in this more real world and that, that's something that i think taika would do a really good job with and i think you have that fish out of water humor too with Lupita being in america and the idea of what she was told america is compared to what it is in front of her but she's so optimistic that she's not quite seeing like the the darkness of what's around her. She's still living, she's still seeing like the optimism of this American dream. And Taika in something like uh, Jojo Rabbit is able to weave in a little bit of serious themes into comedy. So I think he could examine like this Western dream of like people coming to America, trying to pursue a new life and being met with this wall of reality when you get here. And I think he could weave in those serious themes while also having a lot of fun with the characters and a lot of fun with the fish out of water humor and just really getting a lot of great performances out of people like Billy Lord, people like Ewan McGregor, who I feel like are really dying to do these comedy roles. And when they get the chance there, you can tell like Birds of Prey was not all that good, but Ewan McGregor was having time with life doing it. And I think you give that kind of performance to a better director and a movie that fits more to it. And he, he would do a much better job. So I just think Taika Waititi could really great, get great humor out of this, out of this premise. 
Right. You guys got anything else for us? No, I'm. Yeah, that's more just you guys are just kind of fighting it out right now. So. So do we my, want to put a time limit would... on this, or are we good? Because I mean, just, we're only out an hour yeah. and a half in, so we got time. Yeah. The time limit thing we're going over anyway. The um. So, my main argument against Tristan's is. Taika Waititi is such a great, unique filmmaker that does things so differently than anyone else. If he was going to remake Coming to America, I wouldn't want it to have any similarities to the original other than the premise of them being sent to America. And I think yours, even with your characters, with them coming from an African country and coming, you know, in the same way, like, oh, it's an arranged marriage that they're escaping from, like, I'm not interested in seeing Taika do things that have been done before. I think your movie would be more interesting if instead of the fish out of water scenario that you pitched, if your characters were from a New Zealand style country and you had like a Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi pairing come to America and they're very nice to everyone and they go to New York, but everyone's just mean to them. And they're like, we don't get America. Like more of that sense of humor, I think fits Taika better. I don't get, your movie doesn't actually flow or match well with the type of humor that Taika uh, has shown in his movies and is good at. Usually his humor comes from um, even like when he voices uh, the alien character in like Thor Ragnarok. It's usually a very dry humor of being this nice, polite character. And then the people around them react differently to that. I think the idea of coming to America originally was you have characters that are reacting to the people around them, but a Taika Waititi movie, which you didn't describe would be all of the characters, um, you know, like the two main characters reacting to the, the things around them in like a more unique, different way. Like America is just America. People are rude here. They're mean to you. They don't want to say hi to you. They don't want to, maybe the, the culture in, in the country they come from, they walk up to everybody they meet and shake their hands. If you try to do that to someone on the street of New York, they're going to punch you in the face. Like, I like more humor like that, and I think that fits Taika's style. I don't think you pitched a Taika movie. I think you just pitched a Coming to America very similar to the original with Star Wars actors and then just slapped Taika Waititi on there, and it doesn't mesh well for me. I think Lupita Nyong'o's character is exactly what you pitched. I mean, she's she's out of the, out of her element. She's nicer than anybody else around her, and she's... And everybody and all these characters around her are just larger than she is, and she's reacting to these crazy characters and her very optimistic way i mean you 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 pitched my exact character when you said i wasn't doing it and you have you mcgregory i really lord these larger than life characters but it's all rooted in lapita nyongo's uh very nice character who's just lying to wanting to see the dream of america come true and she's interacting with all of these bizarre characters around her and, and reacting to that but i think that's taika's style very well i mean i think that's his humor is characters that are nice and dry reacting to characters that are way larger than they are but why did you keep the story so similar to the original if it's a taika movie i feel like it would be way more unique and way more taika and your movie never if you left out the director until the end of your pitch nothing of what you actually pitched i would have felt i would have been like that feels like a taika movie and i feel like if you pitch a taika movie during the pitch like i should feel like oh these characters match what i've seen him do before or you know, or um, the the humor kind of kind of fits his style. Like, I just never felt that in yours. It feels like two different things, and you slapped a director that you know both the judges like onto it, even though you're not even as big of him on it as as the rest of us. I think if you picked a director that maybe you're more passionate about, you could have pitched something um, stronger. And I feel like you just 
made a pitch you wanted to do and then slapped a director that you thought was maybe pandering to the judges. I don't think your movie actually fits the director you picked, and I don't think you really even like Taika movies that much. You were lower on Jojo Rabbit than us. You don't like Thor Ragnarok. Like, you don't even like his style of humor. So I don't get why. It just feels like you are so passionate about usually everything you pitch. This disappoints me because Troll 2 was like, okay, Tristan pitched everything that he loves, and this one is like, oh, man, Tristan just picked Taika because Bobby and Joe respect him as a director. And you're smiling right now because you know I'm fucking right, Tristan. I'm passionate about Ewan McGregor and Billy Lord. I think they could both give really good performances in this movie. And Taika Waititi, as much as I criticize him, I think all his movies are good, and they're all enjoyable, fun movies to watch. And on paper, Thor Ragnarok, compared to like what we do in the shadows, aren't that similar. You know, and I think the tones are different, but he's able to go in there and, and apply his style and apply his tone, apply his humor to these vastly different premises. And sure, the premise is not something he's done before, but that's why I want it. Like, I don't want him to just do the same kind of thing. I, Thor Ragnarok is nothing like what we do in the shadows. It's nothing like Jojo but Rabbit. The hum- but the humor is is very similar, actually, if you look at just the basis of, of the comedy in them. Um, if you break down the style of comedy, it is very similar in those movies. Um, even Thor Ragnarok, which is maybe more outrageous. Um, if you look at what we do in the shadows and it has the, the vampire fight where they jump at each other. If you look at that scene, it is very similar to like, um, you can find comparisons and contrast that with, um, Loki reacting to the Hulk showing up, like just characters doing Taika type things. Like when I see a Taika joke, I know it. Like what I, I'm a big fan of Flight of the Concords, obviously. You guys aren't. But when I watch an episode that he directs, I know it right away. Like, when I first watch the show, I'm like, oh, Taika had to have directed this because he has a very similar style of comedy that runs throughout his uh, movies. And I don't think it fits with John Boyega and and your characters kind of coming from where they come from. Um, like I said, like, your movie, if it was... Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi, and they're the two main characters, and they came from a New Zealand-type country, and they came to America. I feel like you could have done something well with that, and it would have felt like more of the movie. But your movie just feels like you wrote a pitch that you kind of liked, and then you slapped the director on that. It doesn't really fit. And mine, I thought a lot about what director I wanted to do. I thought about the actors I wanted to put in there. I feel like Aquafina's style of humor works well. I want her to come to America and be following some guy on Instagram and getting on a date with him. And then when that date happens she realizes this dude's an asshole that's not what i'm looking for um but she's big on social media and stuff like that i want more like modernized humor of coming to america yours doesn't sound anything different than the original um as far as like the style of comedy mine would be more of an updated character a completely different character than prince akim in the original played by aquafina who is more in touch with the world around her coming to america and then feeling out of touch because it's not what she pictured it being not someone just being fish out of the water the whole movie you know so i, I think something like that is more modern and, and just better for for the style of film that I'm yeah I, so really quick um I, I think we might have our ruling but tristan just because johnny went on that last rant do you have any if you have any new you know points you want to bring up uh you can do that and then we'll kind of we, we can get to our ruling i think taika is a, a a great fit i think aquafina's character the way you described her doesn't fit with coming to america the whole idea is that I mean, you, you said Lupita Nyong'o. My, my Lupita Nyong'o's character is, does have this false idea of what America is. And she comes to America and starts to realize that what she thought America is isn't actually what it is. And 
that's the same exact arc for my character and you're, you're using it to defend your character, but I'm doing the exact same thing in my movie. Well, can I, can I touch on that real quick before you guys decide on it? What I was saying was I was defending it in terms of your movie is very similar to the original in terms of how the character like grows. Um, and that's not what Taika would be doing. I think yours fit with the pitch you did, but it doesn't fit with the director you, you picked. Mine fits with the character and the director that I picked because it's more of someone who thinks they have an understanding of America, comes to America, doesn't really understand it. Yours is, again, more of the same from what we've seen, and the last thing I want to see from Taika is more of the same. Okay. All right. Um, I think I, I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going. Joe, what are your thoughts? So my thing against Johnny's is I kind of feel like his fatal flaw in his movie is if Aquafina's character is so Americanized, I almost feel like her parents would be like, don't go to America and try to keep her away from America rather than push her towards America. But outside of that, I really enjoyed everything about his movie. Um, I, I like Aquafina as like the new Prince Akeem, basically in that type of role. I loved her in The Farewell. Uh, she was the best part of Crazy Rich Asians for me. And I think it's just a really great casting choice. And my thing against Tristan's, for the most part, is he talked about Lupita Nyong'o in comedies. And since I wasn't making the official ruling anyway, I spent some time looking on her IMDb. Like, she's had comedic roles in, like, The Force Awakens, but I didn't really see her have, like, any really comedic, like, leading roles before. And I just don't know if I can picture her as, like, the lead in a comedy. Like, I almost feel like that's not what she does or anything she's done in the past or what I'd even like to see her do. And I think she was in a comedy, Little Children, I think it was called. She played like a teacher during a zombie apocalypse and she had to defend the kids during a zombie apocalypse. That was that was what I was thinking of when I cast her. All right. But either way, I feel like to me, Johnny had the dagger when because as he was talking, I'm like, oh, if you're going to do Taika, do Coming to America. It should be like about a Maori, someone from like a Maori tribe coming to America. And that's kind of, and like that's kind of what Johnny said. And I feel like if you're going to do Taika and do that type of humor, I feel like that fits more and it separates it more from the original i feel like that's almost the way to go granted it'd be harder to do star wars actors but you have tamira morrison you have other people in star wars that fit the you have taika taika is an actor in star wars yeah, and the mandalorian so that's yeah. true as well yeah and so yeah if it were up to me i'd give johnny the point yeah and honestly uh as you went with your pitch tristan it, I, I agreed with johnny it didn't really sound like a taika pitch and i think he kind of you know, hit on that you're not quite as big of a fan on Taika and, uh, than as we as we are, and it kind of came through in your pitch. Um, but I think the biggest flaw for Johnny was actually the director choice for me. And if you had hammered that at all during the arguments, then it might have made it closer. Um, because I, I don't think that super bad style comedy fits what Johnny pitched necessarily. But you never really hit on that. Um, and I like Johnny's movie pitch better and Aquafina better and what he describes. So uh, I'm going Johnny and he gets the win. Yeah, bitches. Yeah, so Bobby, to defend mine real quick against you, because Tristan didn't bring up, but I had an argument on it, was the idea of Superbad is you start off with characters that really have the idea of the women they want to, like, I need to be this person to make this person like me. And then Michael Sarah's character, the one that he thinks is like this innocent girl is the one that gets hammered drunk and then mm -hmm. is the opposite with um jonah hill like emma stone is like this oh i don't drink i don't party and my movie is very much that in terms of aquafina has this feeling of what do i need to be in america to really make this work um and 
the other thing I cut out of my pitch to make it a little shorter was like her mom's idea of sending her to America was, um, I think she'll hate it there. Like she won't actually find someone when she's gone. Um, so I think that if, if that had been brought up in the argument, I would have hit on both of those, uh, points because I had, I had both of those thought out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And I, and that's why I didn't hammer it because I figured you didn't get a chance to rebut it in the first place. Um, so, but that was when I was, listening i was waiting for that to at least get brought up and it didn't so yeah um but yeah uh that's still a really good pitch i I liked i liked that a lot yeah so we got two movies left and uh, tristan is fighting basically for johnny not to have a repeat rule the next time they play and so our options i think are now down to too fast too furious and the man who knew too much one of them is my pick one of them is bobby's pick so tristan where are we going next let's go with the man who knew too much all right and that is my pick so the Man Who Knew Too Much came out in 1956, got an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It is an American suspense thriller starring James Stewart and Doris Day. The film is about Dr. Ben McKenna, played by James Stewart, on vacation with his wife, played by Doris Day, and their son in Morocco when a chance encounter with a stranger sets their trip and their lives on a drastically different course. The stranger, killed in front of the family in the marketplace, reveals an assassination plot to the Americans. The couple's son is abducted in order to ensure the plot is kept secret, and suddenly the mother and father, with no help from the police, must figure out a way to get their child back. I'll go first on this. Uh, For my rule, I use what must be Martin Scorsese movie. And my cast, I use some Scorsese classics. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Margot Robbie reunited on screen once again in a Scorsese movie. Uh... Margot Robbie in particular I picked because Doris Day was typically a comedy actress and not really known for her drama work, and I think Margot Robbie started to enter that territory too. She's done some dramatic roles, but she's much, much more known for being Harley Quinn, and I think this could be a role that gets her back into like the dramatic focus of an actress. I brought back Mac- Matt Damon to play the spy that uh, tips him off and is kind of a character throughout my version of the movie. And the assassin is somebody that... Of course, as he has not worked with before, but someone that I want him to work with is Josh Brolin. I think he could get a really good performance out of Brolin and get that kind of inherent fear and, 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 and intimidating badassery of Brolin out of him. Uh, so why change something that's already pretty great? You know, uh, Hushcock already remade this once and said that this first one was an amateur getting ready, getting started, and the second was like a all-star director finally at his prime making a movie, something like that. And... I mean, this, the plot structure is pretty simple. The the uh, two leading characters are tipped off about a assassination attempt, and then the child is kidnapped by the would-be assassin, and now these two uh, have to work together to track down their, their child and meanwhile fighting against this assassin. And I wanted Margot Robbie and Leo to both be very active in the plot. I didn't... Uh, Doris Day was not like super super active comparatively to Jimmy Stewart in the original so I want them both to be very active in this and I think uh, Leo plays a great kind of leading man who could perfectly pull off like a father who's in over his head and now having to go and push himself to the edge to save his his son and I think Margot Robbie returning with two Scorsese is a perfect role to get her back in the dramatic spotlight like I said so I think both of these two working together in this thriller uh, Scorsese pulls off thrillers really well. Crime thrillers, uh, Johnny brought up. Scorsese's really good work in crime thrillers in The Departed earlier. So I was going for like a departed tone here. You're seeing these two people having to get into the crime world and 
track down the child and it's just a really tense thriller where you're 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 watching these two struggle to get back their child against all odds and that's my pitch all right all right johnny what do you got okay so my uh the man who knew too much my rules i'm using star wars actors um but my director is a man named martin campbell who did a little film called casino royale um because that is uh, a great spy movie and he also did the Zorro movies and, and a lot of great Green stuff. Lantern. <laughs> in Green Lantern. He was honestly my first choice of um, resurrecting a director's career, but he did The Foreigner a couple of years ago, so I was like, eh. you know what, I don't know if he exactly counts as that, but I feel like I could have made the argument if I wanted to, but I don't. I just think he's a good director who got picked for the wrong movie um, for Green Lantern, but you know, I, I like The Foreigner. So um, My cast is... Dr. Benjamin McKenna, uh, Ben, originally James Stewart. That's going to be played by John Boyega. My Josephine McKenna, Joe, originally Doris Day, is going to be played by Natalie Portman. Uh, my Bernard, who is the man in disguise, who tells them about the plot, is Liam Neeson. And my Clive, who is a corrupt MI6 agent trying to assassinate them, is going to be played by Joel Edgerton. And then I have two assassins that are after them that work for Clive, um, played by Iko Uwais and Yayan Ruhuin, who are from the raid movies and also the force so they don't need it and the force awakens but they uh were not used properly in the force awakens so i'm going to use them as assassins in this movie so here's my pitch a married couple on vacation at a resort or a friend of mine bernard they meet while touring the resort and instantly hit it off uh, with the charming stranger. They are they have dinner that night and discuss their careers and their lives. Bernard said he recently lost his wife and is away on vacation for the first time without her. Ben explains that he is a former soldier who was honorably discharged and is currently working as a banker. His wife, um, or sorry, as a doctor. I fucked that up. Um, and then his wife, Joe, is a reporter uh, set to report on the... Um, basically the the meeting of um, the South African president in Morocco, which is kind of a historic event. So she'll be covering that. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a, uh, uh, she knows all about this, uh, how meaningful this is uh, politically. Um, so the dinner goes well. They make plans uh, the next night. Ben and Joe are surprised when Bernard is a no-show for their dinner plans and wonder what happened to him. After dinner, they head back to their room. When they open the door, they see Bernard laying on the couch injured. He reveals to them that he was stabbed and that he is actually a secret agent working to stop an assassination plot of the South African president scheduled to be coming to meet with the political leaders of Morocco in a few days. Um, uh, he needs to get this information to someone before he dies because he was not supposed to be on this mission. He realized people in MI6 were corrupt and went against their will to try and stop this from happening. Um, and also explains to them that the police and everyone around them is is corrupted. Please don't like don't go to the police because they will kill you. Um, so Bernard bleeds out and dies on the couch. Ben and Joe are soon given no choice but to carry on the mission because the eyes of the dangerous men who killed Bernard discover they know too much. So the whole movie is basically kind of a rat race of them trying to stop this assassination plot. You have someone who's a former soldier and someone who knows all about the. Um, plan of the meeting because she's a reporter kind of understanding what's going to you know happen so you have two people that are aware of the situation feel that they need to stop it because if they don't 
they'll just be killed anyway because the uh, assassins know what they did. I got rid of all of the kidnapping plot and all of that because I felt like it was too similar. You've already had two versions of this movie before. Um, so I got rid of a lot of some of the aspects and kept it more of a spy thriller that's more modern day. It didn't really make sense in the original if you watch it back that um, anything with like the kid being kidnapped and I felt like just dropping that plot completely worked better for for my story that I'm trying to tell. And I like um, picking the director of Casino Royale, which is the best spy movie of the last 30 years, doing another great spy movie. All right. So that's uh, my pitch. My question, quick question for Johnny. I missed who your, uh, who, who plays Dr. Ben in your movie? Dr. Ben is played by John Boyega. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, Bobby, do you have any questions? No, um, I like both pitches quite a bit, so I'm just ready to hear him fight it out. Yeah, I didn't really of, need any specifics. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same spot. So, I mean, we got some time left. Uh, I'm not really going to put any time on the clock on this one. So, yeah, you guys can fight it out. I'll go first on this. Uh, your director, I think, is, is your weaker choice. Like, sure, Casino Royale is a really good movie, but Green Lantern is pretty bad, and Foreigner is, like, fine, you know? And if he... I just don't really think that's a director whose career I want to be revived. Casino Royale almost feels like a one-off hit for him and everything else he's done has been kind of a miss. So like, sure, it would be a revival technically, but I don't know if I want his career to be revived. Like there's nothing interesting about his, his Green Lantern. The director of Green Lantern is going to make a spy thriller. Like that's not really something that I'd be in the, in the line for, you know? Yeah. Well, my, my thing with that is this, like you've seen it happen in, in directors careers before where they really nail certain types of movies they go for. They're very good at action movies. Like, okay, the, the Zorro movies I think are incredible. The Antonio Banderas ones. And that's what Martin Campbell did. He was on a hot streak. He did uh, vertical limit, which was the big hit in 2000 mask of uh, Zorro was 1998 golden eye, which is probably the second best bond movie was in, uh, was right before that. And then he did, um, the sequel to Zorro, which was also good, and then Casino Royale. He also did Edge of Darkness, which was a Mel Gibson movie that actually was really, really good. I thought that movie was very well done. And then they just thought, hey, he's a big name. He's basically rebooted the Bond franchise twice. He can do Green Lantern, but he didn't know anything about Green Lantern. So he was just slapped on there. I don't blame him at all for that movie. I think if you look at that movie, the worst part of that is the writing, the story, the needing to do the CGI things, but he was kind of like just a name they slapped on that movie. Nothing in that actually had anything to do with him. I thought The Foreigner, yeah, it's a good cable action movie, but it's kind of him getting his footing back, um, working with the movie he's more comfortable with. So I think he'd be great to come back and do another spy action movie that he is famous for. I'm just, I'm just going to say for right now, Green Lantern is completely different than The Man Who Knew Too Much. And my only problem with The Foreigner was how it was marketed. It was marketed as a Jackie Chan action movie when that's not what it is. Yeah. And so I feel like just harping on this point isn't going to get anybody anywhere. Because I kind of, yeah, my mind made up sure. on Martin Campbell directing this movie. So Yeah, and obviously, you know, I, I think um, just going with someone I, I feel like has done the the main thing for pitching directors for reboots that we do on the show is pitching um basically the tone of what we're going for and i'm going for the tone of a casino royale or while it's completely different i'm going for the tone of a zorro movie um it's more action it's a spy movie um and and i, I like um my cast for this because 
John Boyega would honestly be my pick for the next James Bond if they did another Bond actor. I think he is perfect for that role. Um, and I want to see him kind of do that spy stuff. I want to see him be in action movies and do those things. Um, so I, I really like him. And obviously, Natalie Portman's amazing. So I want to see her kind of be... Um, and you you also don't see in movies the like the the man being younger than the woman in the role. And Natalie Portman looks great, but you know she's like twelve years older than him. I think that that couple works. Um, and then I just like kind of changing this up from the original. You could see this and be like, yeah, the title makes sense. But even if you've seen the original movie, or if you have no idea what the original movies are, you can see this and enjoy it and feel like it is a different story. I don't need the kid kidnapping plot. I don't need any of that same similar stuff that we've already seen twice. You know, I, I think I'd maybe feel differently if this wasn't something that's already been, you know, done as well as it could have been back then. The other thing about it is the original one was more like probably the most comedy that Hitchcock ever got. And I don't think that stuff really worked that well. I don't think this movie super holds up um, as far as watching it back because it's played more out like a comedy, especially the stabbing scene. Um, and I think just getting rid of some of the comedy aspects and making this more of a solid action thriller is is more the direction I'd want to go with this plot line in 2021. For me, I went with Scorsese because I think if you're going to remake a Hitchcock movie, that's massive shoes to fill. You can't give it to someone who's like a good director. You have to give it to somebody who's like the top tier, the top tier, someone who's going to be in the history books, the directors right next to Hitchcock. And I think Scorsese is like a modern day Hitchcock almost. People line up and see his movies, no matter what the genre is, no matter what the premise is, no matter who's in it, people go see it. And I think Scorsese has that level of caliber that he can take something Hitchcock did and add his own grit, add his own style, add his own tone and his own actors, and but still pay tribute to what Hitchcock did. And you criticized it a bit for being too accurate to the original, but I tried to focus a lot more on the kidnapping itself because like you said, the kidnapping is kind of a weaker part of the original. So I wanted to take that idea and really run with it and really make it like something great. And I think Leo and Margot Robbie together working to get their kid back makes it much more like a personal connection to the plot rather than, Oh, we got to stop this assassin because it's the right thing to do or whatever. It's we got to save our kid. You know, that's like an emotional attachment people can connect to. That's something I would connect with like someone that you're, you're emotionally attached to these characters and their actions and their goals. They're not just doing it because they're trying to save a politician's life or whatever. They're doing it because it's their kid. They don't even care that much about the politician. They're just there because they want to save their kid. And that's what I wanted to focus on. Like, I think Scorsese can pull it off really well. He, he does great crime thrillers. He has these gritty characters who are in it for their own kind of gain. And I think you mentioned The Departed, too. I think The Departed is a good example of Scorsese's ability to take an acclaimed original movie and just kind of do his own thing with it and have elements of the original story. But he didn't even watch The Departed, the original uh, movie of it. And he still made a great adaptation with some story beats of the original, but ultimately made his own movie. And I think that's what I want Scorsese to do. I want him to take the idea that Hitchcock came up with and modernize it, make it exciting, make it a Scorsese movie, make it something that I would love to see because I love Scorsese, I love Hitchcock. And if you're going to remake Hitchcock, like you got to really step up. Like I think of that Psycho remake that was just literally shot for shot and boring and it was like, why am I watching this? But if you tell me Scorsese is remaking a Hitchcock movie, I'm going to be a lot more confident going into that. And I think he's skillful enough to pull that off. I think the problem with Scorsese for your movie, which um, is really the last point I have to make is 
Well, you know, your cast are just people that have worked with him before. That's fine. Um, he likes working with new people a lot, unless he's just returning, you know, like De Niro and stuff. But my problem with Scorsese is his worst movies are the ones that he kind of goes out of his maybe comfort zone. Like The Last Temptation of Christ is probably the worst movie I've seen that Scorsese um, directed. And The Gangs of New York, while I think is a fun movie, is one of his weakest. And those are movies that if you watch those, you wouldn't necessarily think those are Scorsese. I think your movie, while you were trying to compare it to The Departed, um, The Departed was a pretty linear story that was set in one place that, that is about undercover agents and cops. Your movie is a spy thriller about a kidnapping that doesn't really mesh well with, with what Scorsese has done before. And I just think him going and doing a story that actually doesn't really match what he's done before, maybe would, I think it would still be a good movie because Scorsese is a great director. Um, like Hugo is, is different than he's done, but Hugo is not in the top 10 Scorsese movies. That's just a good movie. You know, um, I, I think yours, the problem with it is Scorsese's maybe doing something that Scorsese doesn't know anything about international spies and, and, kidnapping movies like he's never done anything like that before i'd rather see him do something like the movie i pitched earlier where it is more in his comfort zone is more of something that he's done before especially at the age he is now i feel like everything he does now will be returning to form of old movies he's done i wouldn't be surprised by that even the silencing or the silence was more more of a return to religion and questions of religion like last temptation of christ but again those are some of his worst movies so I just think with him, I don't really love the fit with with um, with him as your director, just because I think it's a little too different than than what he's done. And if he was twenty years younger and he did a spy thriller, I think it probably would have been fine. But I think at this point in his career, he's really only interested in going back and doing things he's done, and I think he can do that very well. But I think your movie actually sounds very different than anything he's done. It doesn't really sound like The Departed, based on the original movie. That's nothing like. The Departed or Infernal Affairs, um, and and I think um, just that's that's basically my my biggest point to hit on yours. I would definitely go see yours because it's Scorsese, um, but I think it would be another disappointing Scorsese film like his last couple. I think this is similar to what he's done before. It has the crime elements, it has the thrill elements, it has like the violent elements. But I personally think it's more interesting when Scorsese gets out of his comfort zone a bit. Like I thought Irishman was good. But for me, I was like, I've kind of seen this already. Like, I've seen Scorsese do, like, a mob biopic thriller movie, like, how many times by now? I want to see him in similar tones to what he's done, crime and violence and, and those kind of thrills, but getting to a premise he's never done before, getting to types of characters he's never used before. I think Scorsese has such a varied filmography. He has so many different genres and different uh, eras of movie like he like he said he did uh, Last Temptation of Christ and then he, and then a few years later it was Silence and like he's been all over the map of genres and I think that's what makes him interesting is people see him as this mob director guy but he's done a lot more than just that so I think giving him these elements that define his career the crime and the and the grit could could still attach people like you who want him to be a little more in his comfort zone but I think it could also be people like me and because I want to see him do something a little bit out of his comfort zone. I love Last Temptation of Christ. I like movies like that where he's just doing his own thing and he's not trying to like repeat what he's done before. He's just saying something that he feels. And I think that 
this would be something that I would really, really like to see Scorsese do. It has elements that I like of his movies, but it's also very different in premise for his movies. All right. I have one yeah. final question, and then I have have my ruling. Uh, my question is for Johnny. So the thing with the original is, like, because they have the kid is why they don't go to the authorities. So, like, what – I you might have brought it up, and I don't remember it, but what in the movie happens that – when they hear about the assassination and all of that, what stops them from going to the authorities? So what what prevents them from going to the authorities in mind is that the MI6 agent who's dying, played by Liam Neeson, explains to them that you cannot go to anyone with this information because MI6 is corrupt. That's the agency I work for, and they have people planted everywhere. So the police are working for them Um Everyone else that you're going to is is um, working for them. And then they realize, like, you know, they could, could go back to America and just forget about it, except that people are trying to kill them. So they realize there's no one we can really turn to. It's kind of just let's try to stop them or we die. And the wife is a reporter working on um, the um, political event that's taking place. So she feels that she has an understanding. And the husband feels like I'm a soldier. We can get this done. You know, we don't have to run away. We can knock this out, you know, and right. we don't have to go to anyone. So it's kind of, that's that's the the reason uh, behind them not, like, turning to anyone. All right. Bobby, what are you thinking right now? I'm relatively split, um, but honestly, I think, so Martin Campbell, like, he was on a hot streak, and he made a lot of good movies, um, and Casino Royale is one of my favorite movies of all time, not just Bond movies, um, but... I think Johnny's has the potential to just be a foreigner like Cable Watch, whereas Tristan's with Scorsese, well, at least I know it'll be intriguing with great character, like dialogue and work because of his cast with Leo and Margot Robbie and uh, Matt Damon and all that. So I'm leaning towards Tristan, uh, even though it's a, it's, you know, it's pretty split for me. Yeah, I'm split as well. I was hoping Johnny didn't have a good explanation, and then I could just be like, well, the whole time I'd be watching a movie being like, why didn't they just fucking go to the authorities? But, like, I understand his explanation. It'd be easier if I've seen Casino Royale and GoldenEye, because then I could judge Martin Campbell's spy movies for myself and just be like, oh, I... Can I real quick just throw in a defense on what Bobby said? Just, I don't know if it'll sway you, just to kind of bring up why I thought he was a good director for this choice was I think Martin Campbell's best qualities are kind of going back to something he's comfortable with. Like Casino Royale, he had already done Goldeneye. This movie is a remake, so he has a baseline to work with. I think rather than making another cable movie like The Foreigner, having something to base it off of is a good way for him to get back on track. And I think if Martin Campbell were to direct another movie, I want it to be a remake or a franchise that's currently going because I think that is a good way for a director to kind of get back to their roots and get back to what they're good at. So that's that's the reason I, I felt that he was a good fit, even though um, I understand that his last couple movies maybe were not his strongest. I think this is a good way to get him back to what he was good at. Right. So that's why I picked him. I never really got into that in my fight. And Tristan, I'm, I'll let you have any final thoughts, any final anything that you want to say. I've made a lot of my points already. I don't want to repeat a lot of the same thing, but I just think Scorsese is a, a great fit, and I want to just reemphasize the Hitchcock stakes, you know, and I think you want to bring in someone who can guaranteed fill those stakes, and Martin Campbell might, you know, he has a chance of making a good Casino Royale, 
but I think Scorsese's batting average is just way higher, and I think you're guaranteed to at least get something pretty good out of Scorsese, and I just think it's a much higher lucky hope this movie's going to be good compared to Johnny's. All right. I, I think I know. Bobby, you have any final things you want to say? I think I know where I'm going to go with this. No, if you know where you're going, just go for it. Yeah, my thing is I think it boils down to what movie would I rather see. Would I rather see the spy or, like, the, this couple try to take out, you know, these corrupt spies? Or would I rather see a couple try to go and rescue their son? And at the end of the day, the movie that I would connect with more and the movie that I feel like I would like more is a couple trying to rescue their son. And so that is what I am going to choose is Tristan's pick to make the score four to two. Okay, I'll take so, at least one point. <laughs> so about that, I my original rule was that same pitch, different actors, and it was resurrected director's career. Then I wrote my pitch for Coming to America, and I couldn't connect any rule other than um, directing uh, or than resurrecting a director's career, so I changed the entire um, cast of this movie. So Martin Campbell I thought was a good director for resurrecting, and then I had to defend him as a just non-resurrecting a director's yeah. career. And I feel like he fit better into the first role, but I liked Coming to America, and obviously I won that one, so I'm glad I made that decision. Yeah. But it was a harder one to fight uh, against Scorsese than uh, if I had just had that as my resurrecting. I think yeah. that rule would have fit better than just ha- having him out of the blue. So right. that's that's what happened there. All right. and, uh, Coming to America is rough for me because I forgot Taika was in Star Wars and I literally was going to cast him in it and I googled and I was like, wasn't he in Star Wars? I was like, Taika with TD cameos and it, all it had was Thor and I was like, shit, oh. I guess he wasn't in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah so yeah, when Bobby said that, I was like, God, I could have fixed this whole thing. <laughs> Joe, Joe and I both have to pee. I know Joe does, so I don't know if he wants to read the description or not yet, but I also have to go. So I'm going to go right now. I can still hear you. All right, yeah, if you can still hear, I'll read the description. Tristan, are you fine just going first or... Yeah, I can go first. All right, and this is Bobby's in charge of this one anyway, so... Uh, right, yeah, I'll take it from here. Too Fast, Too Furious from 2003 got a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, directed by John Singleton. It is an action film and a standalone sequel to The Fast and the Furious from 2001. It is the second installment in the Fast and Furious franchise and stars Paul Walker, Tyrese Gibson, Eva Mendes, Cole Hauser, Chris Ludacris Bridges, and James Remar. Too Fast, Too Furious follows Brian O'Connor and Roman Pierce who go undercover for the U.S. Customs Service to apprehend drug lord Carter Verone in exchange for the erasure of criminal records. That is it. So, Tristan, you are up. All right. If you guys have been paying attention, uh, following the rules, I have a bit of a ridiculous one left for this one, but I think it fits for Too Fast, Too Furious. And my rule here is that one must include the Joker. And for my director, I picked James Wan. He's worked in The Fast and Furious. He's also worked in the DC movies. He's also worked in genre work. I think he has this crazy mixed bag of, of work. I always think of James Wan as a horror director myself, but... I forget all the great action movies he's made when you look them up. So my basic premise is years after their iconic race, the crew of the Fast and the Furious must reunite when the Joker announces a high-stakes racing tournament in the heart of Gotham City, offering his sidekick role to whichever uh, villain can win. So uh, after the race, uh, or afraid that the race is going to be a cover for some kind of deeper villainous plot, Gotham City police recruit disgraced cop Brian O'Connor asking him to form a team and take Joker's gang of goons down, offering to clear their names in the process. So Brian reaches out to uh, Dom and his crew, offering them a new life in exchange for their help. 
So we see the original Fast and Furious crew enter undercover as wannabe DC villains. So essentially they're acting like they're racing to to win a villain spot as one of the next big Batman villains. And you don't see a lot of the villains. I think it's good for these rules to not just make it like a DC movie, but I want the Joker to be the villain, but it's it's the cast of Fast and Furious going up against a Joker rather than just a bunch of DC characters. Uh, and I think one of the biggest problems of the original Too Fast, Too Furious is that they don't have like any of the original crew in it. Like It's Brian O'Connor on like a solo mission. So I think if you bring back the original racing crew, you have them in this big bombastic race against a DC villain, and you can really get fun with that. You can really get big with that. And I think that's what Fast and Furious does best is it, it's racing. It's focused on the racing, but it's also really fun and really ridiculous. And I think when it gets into more action thriller type stuff, it's not as good. Like the original Too Fast, Too Furious sucked because it wasn't it was barely about racing. So I think you make this about racing and you bring back the cast, bring back the characters, and you throw the Joker in as a main villain. It just feels the perfect balance of ridiculous, but also having racing at the core of it. And that's my pitch for it. Going after my own heart, if you remember some of my old pitches. <laughs> Are there dinosaurs? No. But... That was the best pitch of the whole show, I think, the dinosaur one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Johnny is my dinosaur. Oh, can I say something real um, quick? Uh, before... Yeah. Uh, we actually have a viewer that found us from TikTok, so I'm surprised by that. Yeah. Oh wow! No, we have we are TikTok famous. Yeah, awesome. so someone, I'll be dancing right after this episode. Gasengo zero zero six uh, posted on Twitch that he came from TikTok, so I'm impressed that that's already working for us. So yeah, right. Right, Johnny, you can go. Awesome, welcome. Where the fuck is Paul, bro? Oh, and Santi Gonzalez came from TikTok. I don't know where the fuck Paul is. We probably made him mad about something. He, he probably might not know we're much. back. Honestly. We shit on Paul every time. <laughs> we changed our schedule, so he's he's yeah. Down. Paul doesn't have Twitter, so he doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, so here's my thing. Yeah, if you've been following the rules, I have one rule left, and that is make this a 1970s movie. And uh, Tristan and I agreed that uh, William Friedkin is a is a great 70s director. He did The French Connection, which has arguably the greatest car chase in history in the French connection. And that's really why I went with him. Well, I don't think the French connection is like mind blowing. Like if you watch it now, you're like, this movie is, is good. But like the only thing that stood out to me when I watched it was the car chase. So I thought he was perfect for a fast and furious style movie. Um, and my, and I think I picked people that maybe fit the characters a little better than Tristan's William Friedkin movie. So my Brian O'Connor is played by Burt Reynolds, who his best movies were like Smokey and the Bandit when he's dealing with uh, being an action star and being in car chases and stuff. But this is a very different role than anything he really did. Um, it's not like a Dirty Harry uh, reboot. My Roman Pierce, you know, he's a, a comedian in a way. Like the best part of Tyrese in Fast and Furious is his comedy. So I wanted to pick someone who has good comedy, and that is Richard Pryor who was huge in the 70s. He was a big movie star. People forget how big a movie star he was. Um, with movies like Silver Streak, where while he is with uh, uh, Gene Wilder, that's a uh, more of an action movie. Mike Carter Verone, who's the enemy, is going to be played by James Caan, who I think can play a great uh, drug lord. And he was obviously famous for the Godfather movies during this time. And my movie is going to be set during 1977. 
Um, so the film starts off with a cold open that ends in a car chase where police detective Brian O'Connor, played by uh, Burt Reynolds, gets his man, but only after ignoring his captain's orders to fall back and doing some crazy things to jump onto the car and, and catching his man. He has a meeting with his captain where he is told his methods are not traditional, but he, is, he has the perfect job for him. Uh, there is a street gang running drugs in Los Angeles, and they need someone to go undercover. They feel because of Brian's ability as a driver, he is the only person that they have that is right for the job. The contact on the inside is a mechanic named Roman. Roman and Brian team up to stop Carter Verone, the biggest drug lord on the West Coast. The film is full of fun street races as well as large-scale action set pieces with a lot of practical 70s stunt work. Because my biggest problem with the Fast and Furious movies that they are now, especially the James Wan ones, are they drop every bit of racing and car chases and everything is more action set pieces that, oh, we're going to drop cars, you know, uh, with parachutes and do all these things that aren't actually races. And I think that setting this movie in the 70s would allow it to be more focused on what the 70s were really good for action sequences, which were car racing stunts. If you look at even the old James Bond movies back in this uh, era, you look at the French Connection, um, a lot of the car chases are the most interesting things that these movies did, and the practical effects on them make them very watchable. So I thought that this was a very good fit for William Friedkin in this era. That's my pitch. All right. Um, Joe, did you have any questions? Because I'm kind of just, I, I get both movies. I just want to hear him fight yeah, it. Yeah, my but... thing is, I didn't really hear a whole lot of Tristan's. I, 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 from yeah. what I sounds like, it sounds like Joker basically shows up in the original Too Fast, Too Furious is kind of what I gathered, but I don't really know. So, yeah, basically, I, I, yeah, I Joker's like throwing a car race for, um, and they think it's a villainous plot, so they go race in it to battle the Joker, basically. Yeah. Which, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'd say just let him fight it, unless you got a question. Nope, go for it. Do you want to limit this one since we're getting towards the end? And uh, Yeah, i say five minutes is probably all we need for a Too Fast, Too Furious debate. Yeah, it's 218.17 right now, so at, yeah, 218 or 223.30, I'll stop it. All right, let's go. Yeah, my, my thing with Tristan's is that, like, I don't know, I, I don't need to see a Joker movie again without Batman being in it. Like, even the Joker movie they made, which I liked, at least had to have ties to the Waynes, like, if Tristan's movie actually was made halfway during the race, like the Batmobile would just show up and Batman would stop the Joker. Like, and I don't really need to see that. The Joker being in car races and stuff doesn't really work. Like, I don't really care about that. The Joker, the best, the Joker is my favorite comic book character of all time. And the best aspect of his character is his relationship with Batman. That's what makes him so good. So I don't ever need to see another joker movie that doesn't really involve batman as the main person so i'm not interested in gotham police trying to take down the joker because if they actually succeed in that the joker is a bad character and if they fail at that your movie's pointless so mine i think fits well at the era while jitris and i agree that william friedkin was a good good director for an action movie back in the 70s Mine changes it up enough, and it doesn't have um, the, mine doesn't have Clint Eastwood. It was more famous for doing better versions of, uh, of of films at the day. Burt Reynolds is best in movies like Smokey and the Bandit, and that's very much the tone that I'm going for. And he didn't really get enough of those opportunities. I feel like like 
Burt Rounds became such a big star from those that he actually, if you look at his career, didn't do enough like um, movies like mine. So I would love another opportunity to see Burt Reynolds do like a Smoking the Bandit style car racing action film. So, um, and I, and I picked a director who made the best car chase of the entire decade uh, during that time. So I, I think mine just worked better with my with my cast, with my director, with the characters that I chose. I don't think the Joker belongs anywhere near Fast and the Furious. Like it just it just doesn't work. There's no comics that Tristan's is based off. There's nothing in the Joker's past or history or anything that connects him to street racing or anything like that. Like that's not the Joker. That's not his character. That's not what he would be doing. Um his as far as like, oh, join my gang is more like the Dark Knight where he splits the pool stick in half and says, now we have tryouts. Like, it, it's not Joker would put this whole fucking race together. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So I don't really get Tristan's movie other than I had to force the Joker into my last pitch. And that's what it feels like, um, which is exactly what my Troll 2 pitch was. But, but I, th- I think the Joker fits really well in this franchise. I think the franchise is best when it has the most fun. And I think the problem with the original Too Fast, Too Furious is that it wasn't really a racing movie. It was just kind of like a thriller with Brian O'Connor in it. And it, I think mine gets back to the core of the racing, but it also has the Joker, which I think makes it a lot a lot of fun to watch. I think uh, seeing these characters that we know from Fast and Furious, who are basically superheroes themselves, you know, like Dom and Brian O'Connor are essentially superheroes that race. You know, and you complain that there's no Batman in this, but there's still great characters fighting the Joker, you know, and it's not the police taking on the Joker. It's Dom and Brian O'Connor and the whole Fast and Furious crew like that. Those are basically superheroes in cars. And I think that makes this really fun. I think my movie just sounds like a lot of fun. And your movie sounds like William Friedkin had a good car chase, so I'm going to make him direct it. And my my director worked on Fast 7, which was the best Fast and Furious movie, and he hasn't done one since. That was the only one he directed. So having him come back and on this Too Fast, Too Furious remake and getting down to the core of the of the racing that makes Fast and Furious interesting, but still having the fun and the ridiculousness that he brought in with Fast 7. And uh, I think James Wan is just a great fit. He's worked in DC. He's worked in Fast and Furious. He's like a top quality director. Everything he directs is pretty much great to watch. Yeah, I like think Aquaman. He, I loved Aquaman. I mean, I thought Aquaman was great. And Ooh. I think that he can bring that fun of Aquaman to this and make it great, too. I think Too Fast, Too Furious sucks, but James Wan directing Too Fast, Too Furious with a Joker in it sounds awesome. And I would love to uh, watch this compared to anything else in the Fast and Furious franchise. This just okay. sounds like a lot of fun. No, here's my thing. I, I mean, easily, like, the best Fast and Furious movie and maybe the only watchable one is Fast Five. And that was directed by Justin Lin. And he kind of understood what the franchise was about. He he made everything about family. And he also had the um, insanely uh, murderous uh, bank heist scene when uh, they have the uh, giant safe that just murders half of the country on their car. But that scene is amazing. And Justin Lin would have been a better choice for your movie. James Wan is not a strong director in your franchise. Like, Furious 7 is no one's favorite movie of the franchise. Fast 5 or the first few are people's favorite because the first three actually focus on racing and then they were like, you know what? People don't love this franchise. We're going to go away from it. Um, And then, you know, Justin Lin made a watchable movie 
And then James Wan came in and just made very borderline, like, okay action movies that were nothing special. Um, and then he made Aquaman, which was terrible. James Wan is not a good director. Like, he, he makes maybe movies that people can be entertained by if they're very simple-minded, um, but he doesn't make very smart, um, good action films. And and um, and that's what Aquaman is. That's what all the Furious movies are that he's done are. Um, he's only that, done one of them. Yeah, whatever. Whatever one he did was bad. And You mean the one that know, everybody loved and cried at the end because they were so attached to the characters in the movie right. that they cried? Okay, so uh, people cried at our time, too. I so. like, fuck that. Like, no one cares, you know? So yeah. here's my thing. Like, my main thing is, William Friedkin, the only ever, like, the only car chases that are any good, like, I think Quantum of Solace has an amazing car chase, but people don't like it because of the camera cuts. Other than that, how many car chases are interesting other than, like, I mean, like, the Raid 2, but mainly because of uh, hand-to-hand combat? There's no been good car chases since the 70s. There are very, very good, entertaining car movies in the 70s that really um, kind of accelerated that genre in a way that nothing ever really encapsulated that. I picked Director, who did the only good car chase in the... in uh, Not the only good one, but the best one ever. And then uh, I pitched a story that actually represented that. I don't need to see people trying out to be Batman villains. Batman is the best comic book superhero because he has the best villains that are already established. I don't need to see pretend people trying to be Batman villains. Like he already has amazing ones. So I don't know. Your movie just doesn't really make sense to me. And my movie sounds like a fun seventies action movie that is different than everything that came out at the time. Yet takes the good aspects of the, of the decade, you know? So I don't know. I mean, there are some very good um, police movies in the in the 70s and very good racing movies and car chase movies in the 70s. And mine takes aspects of both of those and makes it relevant and something that would actually hold up. Um, and Burt Reynolds, again, is at his best in movies like Smoking the Bandit. And I want to see a movie closer to Smoking the Bandit than I want to see a movie like Aquaman. Like those are not, those aren't even in the same universe as far as what actually is a good movie. Like, yeah. if anyone would right. rather watch Aquaman than Smoking the Bandit, like, they should be murdered. Okay, Tristan, do you have any final uh, points to make? And then I think we're ready to get to it. I think Johnny sounds like another forgettable 70s movie. You criticized mine for, I made mine fit perfectly in the 70s, but you guys said, oh, it doesn't hold up, so it loses. And I think Johnny's is the exact same thing. I think Johnny's doesn't hold up. I think Johnny sounds like every other car movie in the 70s. And I think by 2021, no one would even care about it. No one would ever watch it. And I think, sure, William yeah, Friedkin's no. a good director, but he was he directed mine too, and mine lost, and I did the exact same thing Johnny did. There's so. lost, not because of your director, but because of Clint Eastwood. Burt Reynolds is a better fit for my movie than Clint Eastwood ever was for your fucking movie. All no right. one can watch Aquaman. Okay. Just- All right, we got it. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts based on what you heard? So I understand what Tristan's saying about the, um, like, Clint Eastwood and, like, William Friedkin and how we didn't go against or we went against his. Mine's just my thing against his. It just it just felt more like another like Dirty Harry kind of unofficial sequel that I feel like would get lost in the Dirty Harry, where Johnny's feels slightly more original, especially for its time with a Richard Pryor. I feel like it'd be hard for a Richard Pryor, Burt Reynolds team up to be forgettable. I feel like the Burt Reynolds casting was good, Richard Pryor casting was good, and I just don't know if I want to see like. 
the Joker in the Fast and the Furious. I don't know if that's anything that interests me, so I, I'd go with Johnny here. Yeah, um, I mean, Tristan, uh, uh, I don't know if any of you guys remember my my pitch for our, the original Fast and Furious was set in the world of DC, and I did a completely different villain that was a smaller character um, and did kind of the point break kind of thing. And then when I did Rat Race, I did a villain race set up to you know for the winner so it was kind of similar which so i i liked your pitch it's it plays to what i like to like to do with my movies um but i think the mistake is just putting joker in the fast and furious universe i think you just did a completely dc-based movie with the joker doing something like this it might be a little better um it made it maybe you know would have been a little bit more fun or fitting um i don't think the joker really fits too well uh, and johnny's just again it sounded like a good movie good solid good solid movie with um one no one remembering actors uh that would make the movie stand out a little more so yeah so uh i think i'm gonna go with johnny oh get fucked tristan (laughs) yes and we do have we talk a lot you win that's how that's how i I mean like i said i just gotta talk louder next time no, I just gotta be good at this, and you're not. <laughs> I think with our time limits, we're gonna start getting a little bit more interruptions on our on the rants as yeah. we go to try to get some words in. All right, and we do have a few Fuck live comments words. before we go. Uh, Paul two twenty is here. Uh, he says, yes. "I'm here." Didn't have anything to say, so Paul two twenty is here. And then Paul, uh, talk more. And then our <laughs> uh, TikTok fan, uh, I forgot their name. I'm gonna go back up because they were on YouTube and then they came through on TikTok. I think their name is uh, Sante. Gonzalez, probably not saying that right. I apologize. Uh, says Johnny's is better, but Tristan's is more enjoyable. And then they said they gotta go, but they it was a great debate though. So awesome. more enjoyable we... sounds like a win for me. I mean, I, I I play for the fans, and the fans have been on my side almost this whole yeah. game. So hey, fans. I don't play for the fans. I play to win, yeah. bitches. Hey, if we get more people watching this, and we can get some fan polls going, I mean, oh yeah, I'd love for us to have some fan yeah, polls. Yeah. Subscribe, you know, do all that. Um, but before we go, Johnny is the winner. Bobby, any final thoughts uh, before we hang it up for today? Um, I mean, that was a fun episode. I mean, Johnny, again, he's on his hot streak. Um, I, you know, someone's got to take him down eventually. I was kind of hoping Tristan could do it, but I couldn't just pick him because I wanted Johnny to lose. So uh, um, I think there were some pretty good pitches all around. Uh, I really loved Johnny's How to Train Your Dragon and Tristan's, to be honest. That one was probably the closest for me. It just came down to the director's choice. Um, but, yeah, I think that was a fun episode, and I'm looking forward to continuing season two. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, I honestly feel the closest one for me, anyways, was The Man Who Knew Too Much. If, if they, if I had let them debate in, for an hour, my opinion on who would win would probably flip-flop, like, you know, 20 times. Like, it was really close, but at the end of the day, I had to go with the one that I felt, like, interested me more as a movie. Um, but for me, if I were to say, I think Johnny's Coming to America was my favorite pitch of his, and uh, Tristan's uh, Troll 2 was my favorite pitch of his. And I'm not yeah. a big B-movie fan, but just his passion behind it. And, like, if he were to, if that movie existed and he were to pitch, like, hey, you should watch this movie, and he pitched that, like, it would make me excited to see it, even though I'm not a big B-movie fan. So I would definitely say Troll 2 was my favorite movie of his. And uh, Tristan, what was your favorite movie of Johnny's? And any final thoughts? I mean, final thoughts, I should have won. And My Heart to Kill was way better than Johnny's. My Jungle Jungle is way better than Johnny's. 
Uh, my coming to America yeah. is better than Johnny's. Oof. Uh, I think the only good pitch Johnny had was man, he knew too much. So I guess I'll go with that one. But I I usually should have won this. It just inspires me to fight harder, you know. And I I will reach out to the fans. I know they're on my side, so I'm calling you guys. Call to action, you know. Comment under this video and point out how bad Johnny's pitches are. People have to take him down a notch, and whether it's me or whether it's the fans, Johnny's going down this season. I promise that's happening. It's going to be one of the, one of us taking him down. And I want it to be me because it's me and I want to win. And I want to be Johnny more than anything. So I hope I take him down. But someone's taking him down. You know, Johnny. Johnny's the villain of, of my life on Movie Changer right now. You know, I had <laughs> nightmares about, about Johnny's pitches. And I'm here to win. And I'm here to take this entire system down if I don't win. Because clearly my pitches are better for half of these movies. And... The fact that I lost on them just shows that something needs to change here, and I'm going to change it. All right, and uh, I love it. Johnny, right, what was well, your favorite pitch of Tristan? I I respect Tristan as a competitor. He tries very hard, even though he is uh, inferior to me, just like all of you are. Um, but my main thing is this: no one can fucking beat me. I'm fucking so goddamn good at this shit. This is why Joe and I created this show, because I fucking just dominate everyone who comes by. But also, I put a lot of fucking work into my, my pitches. I put a lot of work into my casting. I put a lot of work into my director choice. Um, I put way too much work um, into this podcast that does not make us any money. So maybe one day it will make us money, and that will be great, and it will be rewarding. But I put a lot of work into shit that is almost meaningless. Um, but I love it, and I just have so much fun doing this show. Um I, I think mine, I worked the hardest on, um, when we, when we first found out the movies, I thought how to train your dragon was like an impossible movie to reboot. And I really enjoyed my pitch for that. I thought, um, Tristan's strongest pitch was, let's see, all his suck. So I got to go through, <laughs> um, I don't know. Troll two would maybe want to kill myself. <laughs> Coming to America was garbage. Jungle to Jungle was really bad. Jungle to Jungle, I can't believe I didn't win that. Mine was that like one, slow I, my I thought, I, I, thought, was on, I was on your side on that one. I thought the Jungle to Jungle pitch for Tristan legitimately for me was could be awarded worst pitch of all time on this show. And I could not believe how close that one was. But I really did enjoy his um, The Man Who Knew Too Much. I thought that was going to be a hard one to to fight against and I especially with Scorsese like I literally shit on Hugo and that's maybe in my top five Scorsese movies as well as Gangs of New York so it was I had to pull from things that I did not fully believe in to fight his and that was the only one that really um I thought was like ah oh, fuck this is an uphill battle um but uh, yeah I thought I thought I, Tristan's a very good competitor even when I think his movies suck he puts very good arguments in and his suit definitely helps because he looks so professional but like putting the shrek director in charge of a movie is like a is a very bad shrek is a great movie you got to be kidding me no the fact that you can quote that movie like half that movie is quotable even this many years later no okay so i mean i used to love shrek and then i was like oh i'm gonna watch shrek and then it sucked so it's a problem when people just you know I mean, it's it's good for me when people pick bad, you know, people to be in their movies and throw them at me because I can shit on them so easily. Troll 2 was maybe a hard one to fight because I was like, 
even though Bobby and Joe would never in their life watch a Sharknado movie, Joe Tristan was so passionate about it that they felt they needed to pick it. Um, it was a hard one to fight, and my mind was. I got to the end. I had a Joker rule that was the dumbest rule ever on the show, so I had to throw it in. There's a reason why the Joker lost both pitches. Um, that's not a good rule, and it's not a good fighting uh, uh, rule. So I didn't expect Tristan to win when he threw the Joker in, just like I expected to lose when I put the Joker in mind. So I, I think the main thing is when, especially if there's a championship match going forward, I think pitches or rules that don't require including characters or changing a movie completely, I think are important for um, uh, pitches because you don't really get the freedom you want when you have to include a certain character. So that'd be, that'd be my maybe one thing that I'd like to go, do going forward because I feel like Tristan and I both could have had stronger pitches for the movies we picked if we weren't stuck by a, a rule that is maybe a weaker rule. So I'm glad you retired the Joker one. Just like everyone lost the Jack Sparrow rule, just like everyone loses the Joker rule, just like everyone except for me because I'm amazing loses the Bane rule. Um, I, it's hard to include yeah. characters. All right. So my final thoughts, I think I already said who I like pitch-wise, where I would go with that. I'd also like to say, hey, just follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at MovieChangeUp. I think we're going to try to put out new content, not maybe every day, but almost every day. Uh, we're streaming live on Twitch, YouTube, uh, Facebook. Uh, go watch us on, uh, or go listen to us on your favorite podcast app. If you're not able to watch live, but you you know don't have time maybe to watch a full video, you can watch listen to us on your commute. All any way you you know digest our content helps. Uh, if you enjoyed this, if you're new to the show, share it. Tell your friends about it. Any any anything like that will help us grow. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, to anyone who's watching us for the first time, we have an entire back catalog of like over 20 episodes on YouTube right now. So if you're watching on Twitch and you say, hey, this is the first ever stream, we've actually, this is our first ever Twitch stream. So go check us out on YouTube and we have a bunch of previous episodes. Go watch our backlog. And then also finally, if you have any movies that you want to see us do, see us reboot, if you have any rule ideas, you kind of see what kind of rules we go for around here. So yeah, just tell us any rules you think we should do. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what day we'll be back next week. We never really have a consistent schedule, but we'll figure something out. Uh, Johnny, do you have any idea? Um, let me look real quick at my schedule so I can tell the people what they want to hear. Next week uh, looks like uh, Tuesday the 16th. Is that next week? Yeah. That uh, day looks like a day I could do. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. eight days from now. So, yeah, yeah. So, if you're watching right now, next week, Tuesday at 7 is, I think, when we'll be, when we'll yep. be on. Uh, but if not, check our social media. We'll keep you up to date. Uh, and next week will be Johnny and Tristan hosting with me versus Bobby. And it should be, you know, the same category, the two, two, and two. So We'll keep it peaceful. Yeah. We'll try. Uh, everybody, <laughs> have a nice day. You know, do what you got to do. Oh, yeah.